Hello and welcome to episode 197 of the Samuel Emanuel Movie Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. And I'm uh, Manny Manuel. So today we got, uh, we actually didn't talk about this off air, Manny. Episode one, uh, seven? Episode seven of 13? Seven. Is that, uh, is that correct? Cool. Yeah. Episode seven of 13 in our 1993 mini series. We're talking about the top grossing comedy of the year, which was Mrs. Doubtfire. So we got that going on today. Uh, a couple orders of business to get out of the way first. Manny, you yeah. are a you are a sick sick man. I'm a statistic. Yeah, you are a statistic. You're. <laughs> I caught the COVID. Yeah, you're a crisis actor. Yeah. <laughs> Got the Rona. How you how you feeling right now, Manny? Like shit. Honestly, I can't believe that we're actually recording this episode right now. I I just kind of assumed we wouldn't be. And I uh, that would have been fine. I kept... Your commitment to keeping the episodes in order is uh, is noted. Yeah, I uh, I just felt I should give it a try. I've been resting. For four days now, uh, I wish I could say there's been improvement. There's been improvement on my initial uh, symptoms; those are those are gone. But I have brand new ones, keeping me uh, keeping me down. Well, I just want to want to keep you on your toes. You know, it's, uh, that's a good thing. Um, I was. Oh, there was something else I was going to say as well. Oh, yeah, I was also just going to acknowledge that uh, we are recording remotely tonight because yes. I don't have a death wish. I. I've been through what you've been through once, and I don't intend to do it again, uh, if that's a possibility. So, uh, yeah, in case the people can't hear it, I should note, for the record, we are recording remotely tonight via yes, Skype. We so, are. <laughs> even though we live oh, in the same there city. it is. There it is. Hold on. Oh, there's, there's the cough, the first of many. So Manny is turning off his microphone, uh, and none of you can hear him coughing, but I can hear him crystal clear. Manny, Ooh. that was delightful. I know. I know. I'm very sorry. Um, <laughs> Sam's gonna Sam's gonna have to hear it, and then uh, I also realized that uh, the mic does pick up the clicking of it turning on and off. Yeah, so, that's preferable to uh to the phlegm. Th- yeah, yeah, phlegm in one's ear. <laughs> so if you hear clicking, you know what's going on. Uh, so yeah, we are gonna be trimming the episode a little bit short tonight. There's not gonna be any uh, what we've been watching, and honestly, with Mrs. Doubtfire being the type of movie that it is, I doubt we'll spend too much time on analysis. So yeah, we'll I know see. we've we... claimed this many. I know we've claimed this many times before, but I expect this to be a short one. I'm hoping. I'm yeah. Hoping. <laughs> yeah, we'll get you off mic as soon as possible. So fir- with that, oh sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I was gonna say, Mike, it's the first time my narcissism isn't kicking in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now it's just self-preservation. Yes. Got to get you back to bed with a with a bowl of soup. Uh, yeah, so a little bit of a short one tonight. Manny feeling a little bit under the weather. Uh, with that being said, I just uh, there's something I got to talk about. Manny yeah. and I have discussed this off air. I, I do got to add this in here real quick. I want to talk about my friend uh, Reeve Hines, who is uh, somebody that I've known for a long time. I've known him since, I'm going to say we were six years old, like grade one, grade two-ish. Uh, Matt Reeve, he was a year younger than me. He was one of my best friends for a long time, especially I'd say like grade six to grade 11. Uh, him and I were, were really, really close. I would go over to his house often and watch these really shitty horror movies. <laughs> he always had a taste for, uh, for, for horror movies. And uh, yeah, I have, I have plenty of good memories of just watching these atrociously bad horror movies in his basement. Uh, you know, for uh for a lot of my sorry a little distracted here at the moment uh yeah i i have a lot of memories of watching horror movies in his basement um he he uh had such a penchant for horror movies that he actually uh suggested an episode for me and manny uh episode 79 uh he suggested the movie hereditary that we did i 
suspect that means he listens to the podcast. I uh, I didn't know. Uh, I don't know that for a fact, but I suspect that it to be true. Uh, anyway, the reason that I'm rambling on like this, and you can probably hear I'm a little distracted and a little upset by this, uh, but uh, Reeve passed earlier this week. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah, I just wanted to... <laughs> Sorry, we're going to try not to start no, sobbing here on air. It's okay. Still a little fresh. I, I only found out about it yesterday. Yeah. And uh, he was a great friend and a great guy. And uh, <clears throat> shit. It's all good. Take, yeah. take a moment. Uh, I never had the pleasure uh, of meeting Reeve, but he's been mentioned actually several times. Um, you've mentioned him uh, several times throughout the podcast. I did know that he was uh, responsible for our 2019 Halloween fan selection, which, by the way, was our very first Halloween fan selection. So Reeve, uh, while we think he may have listened, and uh, he means a lot to Sam, uh, I never did get the pleasure of meeting him, but he has a piece of history of this podcast, and uh, it breaks my heart Um to see my good friend right here, I, I get to see Sam's face as he is really dealing with and processing the loss of somebody close to him. It's not, it's not easy, and uh, I want to send out all my love and support to you, Sam. Um, and while I'm sure their fa his family doesn't listen to uh, all his friends and family uh, for this incredibly tragic loss. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for saying that. Uh, yeah, I almost didn't want to talk about this because I knew this would happen. Of course. It's still, still very fresh. It was, today's Thursday, and uh, he passed this past Monday, uh, being told by his family that he had a he had a seizure and didn't wake up. Uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of tough. I found out about it yesterday from a mutual friend, and uh, yeah, I like I said, I I didn't really relish the opportunity to talk about it because i know how i am and i and i knew that this would happen but i mean he was he was uh, it's actually been a few years since i've spoken to him but especially through high school i mean not only was he a great friend but i mean he we watched a lot of movies together and i would be remiss to not acknowledge that on a movie podcast <laughs> uh so yeah i just wanted to uh give a shout out to him and uh you know Send uh, send my thoughts and good vibes to his family. Uh, Reeve was was 24, and uh, taken a bit too soon. So yeah, yeah, there you go. Sam, why don't we like we do for people that are important? Why don't we have just one minute of silence uh, in honor of your friend Reeve here? Okay. Yeah. Cheers. Starting now.
That was in honor of Reeve, someone that means a lot to Sam. And Sam means a lot to me, so that was for you, Reeve. Thank you for all the memories and happiness that you brought to my good friend. Absolutely. All right. Well, why don't we try to make the world smile? Yeah, what a what a 180. <laughs> what, an un, what an unfortunate movie <laughs> to be talking about this week. <laughs> it is. But perhaps thinking about something uh, that is amusing uh, will allow us to uh, honor his memory. This week, uh, as Sam has noted, we are in part seven of our 1993 miniseries, and it is the highest grossing comedy of 1993. And that is Mrs. Doubtfire. It was released November 24th, 1993, directed by Chris Columbus. Uh, written by Randy Mayhem Singer and Leslie Dixon. Based off the Anne Fine book, Elias... Il not Elias, my apologies. Alias Madam Doubtfire. Starring Robin Williams, Sally Field, and Pierce Brosnan. Has a Metascore of 53. Wow. Um, it won an Oscar for Best Makeup. That was the only nomination it got that year. It had a budget of $25 million. It grossed 219 in the U.S. It was the second highest grossing film domestically that year. And it grossed 441 worldwide. The plot, after a bitter divorce, an actor disguises himself as a female housekeeper to spend time with his children held in custody by his former wife. Held in custody. It makes it sound like they're held against, his, against their <laughs> will. Um, Sam, your spoiler three... Spoiler free thoughts on Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, so uh, as I try to recompose myself here, uh, this movie, uh, as most of his, as most of his do, uh, rests entirely on the shoulders of Robin Williams. Uh, so I've seen Mrs. Doubtfire before. I, this is one that I had watched quite a few times in my childhood. Uh, I mean, this is the type of movie that's on TV all the time, and I feel like this is the kind of film that. Uh, is important to a lot of people and uh, the kind of movie that even people my age and younger um, have passed along down the generations. Like this is a, this is a very well-known comedy and uh, especially with Robin Williams passing a couple of years ago, I guess that's, uh, that's getting to be quite a while ago now. What was that like 2014? I was going to say, uh, yeah, around there, 2014. Yes, wow. 2000... Coming up on 10 years since Robin Williams. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, but, uh, as with most of his movies, the success or failure of this movie <laughs> or your enjoyment of the movie basically hinges entirely on whether you're a fan of Robin Williams' comedy style. Uh, I very much am. I love Robin Williams both as a comedic actor and a dramatic actor. Um, you know, uh, there, there are certain aspects of the movie that I don't enjoy or that haven't aged well, uh, but I'd say... 90% of this movie is just good old-fashioned fun. Like I said off the top, there's not really a lot to analyze here. Um, there are some themes of family and uh, and divorce, and I have to imagine for 1993, um, without getting into spoilers, the ending of this was probably a little non-traditional. Very much um, so. Yeah, so I, I kind of respect the direction they went in there. The ending is a good one as far as I'm concerned. Um, but yeah, th this movie starts and ends or the analysis the analysis of this movie starts and ends with um robin williams performance which is uh just him at his absolute peak um i also should acknowledge uh sally fields is uh given a tough task which is to go 
toe to toe with Robin Williams. Not that necessarily she's being like her her type of role is very different than Robin Williams in this movie, but she does a great job with what she's given. I think uh, she's an actress that I really respect. Um, she's sort of the straight man in a lot of their scenes together, and she has kind of a thankless role of being uh, the bitch mom, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the one who uh, shuts down the fun, the one who's responsible, the one who's providing for their family when uh, Robin Williams' character can't hold down a job. Uh, yeah, she has a really thankless role, both the character and Sally Field really have kind of a thankless job <laughs> of uh, trying to you know, be this character, and I think she does a great job with it. Um, I think the score from Howard Shore is pedestrian a little bit. It's just a standard 90s score. I barely it's, notice it. Uh, I, don't, I honestly don't even have a note on it. As far as the music in this movie is concerned. The soundtrack. Yeah, the soundtrack, on the other hand, is uh, is quite good. Uh, I've actually got a good story. Um, there's, uh, at one of my previous jobs, there was a girl that we hired who, uh, you know, this was maybe two years ago. I want to say she was probably about 17 years old. And uh, we were playing music over the over the uh, PA at, at work. And Dude Looks Like a Lady uh, by Aerosmith came on over the PA. And she did not turn to me and say, uh, is this Dude Looks Like a Lady? She turned to me and said, is this the Mrs. Doubtfire song? <laughs> and uh, so so that song, I think, is, for a lot of people, uh, completely intertwined with this movie, as, as famous as it is uh, on its own. So, uh, yeah. But uh, anyway, this is a movie I really enjoy. I've watched it several times. Robin Williams is hilarious. Uh, I'm sure we'll get into some of the specifics of his performance. But you can really tell when he's on script and when he's just been told to go. And in both both aspects he does a great job so there you go this is Doubtfire I don't remember if I saw this in the theaters or not I would have to think that I did because it was such a massive success uh, I've always liked this movie and you're right as a lot of movies with Robin Williams in it it really boils down to how much of him do you enjoy now as we know by other films that we've reviewed and perhaps even other films in his filmography he does have a nice range but when he's doing his comedy it's whether or not you like that manic style or the improv style that he provides will basically help decide if you're going to enjoy the movie Mm -hmm. the fun thing about watching this and because i'm itching to do a rewatch of the birdcage is how incredibly different the two are and here watching him in here you can see him in the nathan lane role in the birdcage totally but so thankful that he's not (laughs) i'm so thankful that he's armand because taking away Nathan Lane from that movie would be a travesty. That it would. Uh, we talked about it. I, we've never done an episode on the birdcage, although we've talked about it. And we, but we, you and I have discussed it many times privately and briefly on air. Yeah. And it's not often that Robin Williams gets shown up in his own movies. Yeah. Might be, the, might be the only time. I agree. Yeah. And Nathan Lane outperforms him in the birdcage. Yeah. Um, I'll flat out right now. 
I think the birdcage is my leading contender for next year's anniversary episode. I think that'd be a good one. Yeah, we've talked about it a lot. Yeah. Um, but this movie, this movie always kind of, I guess, hit a little more for me because I am a child of divorce. And as am I, as I would say well, quite a few people are. Yeah, more and more common. Yeah, sadly. And then I would, I'm like 100% sure this is the first time I've watched it since I've had my divorce. Mm. And so while watching the movie throughout my life, I was always kind of looking at it from the kid's perspective. This was the first time I started watching this movie from the parent's perspective. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot to say on that. Okay. Uh, yeah, the, the score is forgettable. I didn't even notice it. Yeah, it's just a typical 90s score. It's very bouncy and light. Yeah. The soundtrack is the song choices are great. They're just a little too on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> They're... Well, I was reading. I'm sure you probably saw the same thing, but I was reading that uh, the writer claims this movie would not exist without Dude Looks Like a Lady. Like, it's it pretty... <laughs> It pretty well just draws inspiration directly from that song. Pretty much. Uh, why don't we get into uh, the spoilers for uh, Mrs. Doubtfire? Uh, yeah. why, don't you, why don't you take us in, Sam? So we're about to spoil this classic comedy. I don't think that's out of line to call it that. Uh, this classic comedy, which is 20, let's call it 29 years old. Uh, you've been warned. About to spoil it. Three, two, one. Go fuck yourself. Manny, where to start? We start off with an opportunity for and one of many opportunities for Robin Williams to show off. And this is where we learn that Daniel is a voice over artist and he's doing voiceover work for a cartoon. Mm -hmm. And we get to see his range in voices. And then most likely he got to kind of do whatever he wanted to do when he goes off script from the script inside the movie. Yeah, ironic that in the opening scene, he's immediately uh, chastised for going off script. Mm -hmm. But like that's what he's known for. Like That's what Robin Williams is known for, but the character Daniel Hillard is not uh, given the same leash, let's say. Yeah. Well, Daniel Hillard's not quite the same level of actor that Robin Williams <laughs> is. Amen. Not many people are. No, very true. Uh, but we also uh, set up the... We also do set up that he is anti-smoking so and he's very conscience conscious of the messaging that this is giving to kids so it also sets up that while he's not the most financially successful father he is a very doting and uh caring father because yeah. he doesn't want his kids to watch the very product that he is putting out there he goes and picks up his kids. They have a secret birthday party because mom said he, the son couldn't have one. And this is red flag number one right here. Parents have to be, have to have a united front. United front. I was just about to use that term as well. It's gotta be, it's gotta be two acting as one. Yep. Even if you disagree. You have to have a united front. You guys can disagree, just never in front of the kids. 
Whichever one of you is against whatever they're doing, they just got to shut it up. Because if you have parents contradicting one another, it will, one, confuse the child, and two, allow the child to play the parents off one another. Because kids are manipulative. Kids are psychopaths. Yep. So I remember watching this when it came out. I would have been about 17, 18, and thought that uh, Daniel was great. Watching it now, I'm like, Miranda's in the right. Daniel. Oh, yeah. I think that's a sign <coughs> of maturity right there because I, of course, watched this for the first time when I was a kid. And I was like, wow, Miranda is such a killjoy. I can't believe she would ruin her child's party. Like, yeah. that absolutely sucks. How dare she? And now that I'm older, I'm like, wow, what a fucking asshole Daniel is. Yeah. Like, directly contradicting their mother in front of them. Yep. Like, but, and then uh, just trying to be the good guy and having to make her play the bad guy. Like, I totally sympathize with Miranda in this movie. 100%. Uh, we cut away from the party and they set up that Miranda is a very successful interior designer. Um, sets her up as kind of like a square as the bat, quote unquote bad parent, the no fun one. Uh, I didn't really like that. And mm-hmm. uh, when she gets there, uh, the cops are there. And the cops like, did you know it's illegal to uh, own barn animals? They're not owning the barn animals. He, yeah. <laughs> he, hi- he hired a petting zoo. They're clearly being rented. <laughs> They're clearly being rented. And if it was against the law for them to be there, how would this petting zoo business exist? Yeah. I was like, I'm like, mm. I'm like, this is fucking horseshit. But whatever. It's just, literally unwatchable. Yeah. I, at this point, I turned it off. Yeah. And, and that's it. That's I, Mrs. Doubtfire. That end. was Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, I give it. <laughs> Have a good uh, night. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> a couple things I noticed here as Miranda's arriving. Um, that horse starts to eat the cake. Mm-hmm. Uh, that can't be good for the horse. No, and that looks like a real cake, right? It, it's not like they made a prop one out of horse food or something like that. Yeah, it, it looks like a real cake. It did, and I, that was like a, again one of my first thoughts. I'm like, that horse is gonna have poop problems. You know what? I should have stuck around for the credits. For the uh, were, were they already putting in the uh, no animals were harmed in the making of this movie stuff in credits? At this oh, they point? had to have been. Yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe I should stick around next time to see if that's the case because yeah. that horse uh, probably did not have a great time. There was a, there's a scene later on that I went back and rewatched like four times to uh, to validate something. I'll talk about it when we get there. Okay, I love it. Um, the other thing I noticed there was all these kids there, but no other parents except for Daniel. And yeah. a lot of these kids were very young. Now, if they were all the age of Chris, I wouldn't think any of it. But there was kids like ages like six to like probably 13 and yeah. daniel's the only parent there uh that would not happen that would not happen uh but miranda shows up and this is one of my biggest not complaints uh, i well it works for the movie but fighting in front of the kids oh yeah completely never ever mm-hmm ever 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 do that mm-hmm. i am happy to say that i've never done that and you know what i uh, as a child of divorce myself i can remember i'm delighted to say the amount of times i remember my parents actually fighting in front of me as a kid is like single digits i can probably count it on one hand it's yeah very infrequent so i'm grateful for that yeah this is, a, this is a big no-no yeah uh so this scene's always kind of 
hurt me, um, even when I saw it back then. Yeah, I'll also maybe just say um, this scene kind of doesn't make sense later. For uh, there's something about oh uh, yeah, I remember what I was gonna say. Miranda tells Mrs. Doubtfire later that uh, Daniel could never have a serious conversation. This is a pretty fucking serious conversation. I know it's like right at the very end of their relationship, but he, he seems like he seems practiced in these sorts of things in defending himself at this point. Yeah, but defending yourself isn't the same as having a serious conversation. Yeah, I, I'm, that's true. I'm going to guess that what Miranda did is that there was times where she was feeling neglected or feeling that the marriage wasn't quite working out that way, and she went to talk to Daniel about it without being confrontational, and he yeah. probably blew it off. Because oh, totally. he, he's obviously still in love mm -hmm. and content with their relationship and obviously, obviously taking Miranda for granted. Yeah. Right. And their whole relationship for, for taking it for granted. So when she says it's over, he starts trying to save the marriage, like saying we should go see a therapist at this point. It's too late, brother. Mm -hmm. She's already made up her mind. This this wasn't this party wasn't the thing that ended your marriage it was just the last straw it was it was what it was is the excuse for her to end it yeah and when he says we still love each other and she goes silent ice cold harsh ice cold harsh yeah. question these are is, good performances from both of these actors in this scene yeah uh, and yeah, I, I am totally Team Miranda already. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm Team Miranda until the next scene, and that's a divorce in the court. Hmm. He gets one Saturday? Yeah. That, that couldn't have been standard even back then. I feel like weekend dads already existed. I think what, ha I think what it is, this is what I think, is that because she asked for the divorce and he didn't want one, Obviously, in scenes we don't see, their divorce gets, and it's obvious, it's very bitter. Mm. And so she ends up using the kids as pawns. And so if she gets full custody, she kind of has a sense of control over him, and she's kind of used the kids. This is the part where I'm like, I was Team Miranda. This scene happens. <laughs> I'm on Team Daniel. Yeah, I'm 100% I'm biased because I'm a father. Thankfully, my divorce was not bitter. It was probably one of the easiest divorces in the history of divorces. <laughs> I'm very, very lucky. And But one Good. Saturday, I, I could not imagine only having my daughter for one day. Now, for six, for six weeks of the year, I have to do that because of my job. And it fucking sucks. But for him to only get them one day of the week for, for literally no reason. He's not a bad father. He's not abusive. He just can't really seem he's to He's just hold. an idiot. He's just an idiot and can't really... <laughs> he's irresponsible. Yeah. Mostly, yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, but he's a good father. He is not neglectful of being a father and anything like that. So this scene immediately switched me from Team Miranda to Team Daniel. Mm -hmm. only because of my bias being a single father and having my children taken away or in my case my child i i would i i, I can't even i can't even imagine can't even yeah. imagine and you know what uh i mean i guess it's jumping ahead a, a little bit here but he does such a good job portraying 
the desperation that comes with this decision, both in the court scene, but in particular later at dinner when uh, when Miranda comes to pick them up early. Mm. And he like he's fucking pissed and rightfully so that she's early yep. on his one day yep. and he's like come on you're my you're my goddamn kids too which yep. gets repeated for for a laugh later um but yeah uh i think it's the weight of this decision which obviously the decision to do what he does in response to this which is you know basically defraud his own family by dressing in drag and creating a new persona and deceiving the woman he loved for many years the fact that he goes to that length uh we need to see him desperate we need to see him we need to see this decision happen uh, in order for that to to make sense so i uh yeah i i think it's a it's a good um good bit of writing and uh sold by a good bit of desperate acting by robin williams Mm -hmm. him saying goodbye to his kids not cool almost had me crying wasn't fucking mm-hmm. that was not a good scene didn't like it yeah <laughs> yeah is that when uh he <laughs> he says that uh or when, when his daughter says that grandma smells funny he's like that's just the formaldehyde yeah <laughs> great line um we meet the court liaison uh Mrs. Who is, uh, i i i have her referred to in my notes as greta because that's her name in liar liar oh okay <laughs> she's also uh she's also in the american president Oh, really? I don't remember that, but I've only seen that movie once. Yep. I'm uh, sure I did that at the time. She had a small role. Yeah. Um, more Robin Williams improv. Doing the voices for her. And she, yeah. Voices? What do you mean you do voices? Yeah. Not realizing the can of worms that she's opening. Mm. Didn't find it as funny. No? No. I think it's I like, because I've I like s- some of it. Not all of them were hits. Hundred percent, I can tell you that I laughed my ass off back in '93. I think yeah. I've just seen this movie too many times. Where this, I'm just like, I know it's coming. But if you haven't seen it, I think, and especially if you're a fan of Robin Williams, this definitely played for laughs. Hundred percent laughed in the '90s, not laughing in the 2020s. Yeah. Um, Again, they just set up that he truly loves his kids. While he's joking around, he makes it abundantly clear that he's willing to do whatever it is. We now meet uh, Stuart. Yeah. Played uh, by Pierce, the strikingly handsome yeah. Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. Uh, I guess, was he already in some Bond movies at this time? Nope. This is two yeah. years before he becomes Bond. Hadn't been yet. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes some sense. Um, what's going on with his accent in this movie? that's his voice is it it's yeah sa- for some reason at some points it feels like he's trying to be american i'm not sure oh really yeah i i, I wasn't quite sure like he definitely uh his accent sort of seeped through so there's a line somewhere in the middle when he's like oh i was born in the uk what what part are you from i thought the implication there was like i was born there but i moved i moved here a long time ago oh i did not pick up on that at all oh okay I, pick, reason, I, I, I know that was, line. That's why, yeah. like, I was waiting for you yeah. to finish. I'm like, but he says he was born in the UK. No, when when he said that, I was like, oh, did they, like, write that in to make up for this weird accent? I don't know. At some points, he just sounded American to me. Maybe that's just maybe that's just my ears. But, uh, right. yeah. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> um, she is so smitten. 
Oh, I have the same word. I have the exact same word. I, I have in my notes. Sally Field is so good here, acting smitten but awkward. Yeah, she's great in this scene where yeah. they where they meet for the first time. They uh, they obviously uh, they reveal that they've had a past prior to her uh, marriage. I think I I think it comes across that uh, in university times, perhaps, mm-hmm. uh, and she's still completely uh, enamored with him. And how could you not be? The man is. He's I, gorgeous. He is. He he is. Eye candy. He is deal a delicious man. I, I like in the in the pool scene when uh, he takes his shirt off and uh, the youngest daughter says, uh, "His tummy looks different than my daddy's," yep. or something like that. Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh yes, it does. Oh yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, so the kids come to Daniel's house. He has just moved in, and it's a a, a tiny little apartment, uh, but it's the best that he can do with what he's got. Um, the oldest daughter is lashing out. Uh, as uh, as they tend to the she's a teenage daughter so she's uh, not the most delightful person to begin with mm-hmm. and they start asking questions that are difficult for parents to answer and he's trying his best but then he does uh, an unforgivable thing in my opinion and that's when he starts putting down the kid's mother right in front of them calls her ba- calls her battle axe mm-hmm. right. says he wishes she gets amoebic dysentery mm-hmm. and not in a joking enough way for kids to understand that he's not being serious yeah putting down your children's mother in front of them is one of the shittiest things that you can do putting down your child's father in front of them is one of the shittiest things you can do yeah children look up to their parents no matter what they say until they get to a certain age and maybe they realize that their parents truly are shitty people (laughs) but when you're young these are the people that provide for you that you love (laughs) unconditionally and for the other person that means that much to you to say shitty things about them is a fucking horrible thing Mm -hmm. horrible and him doing this while played for laughs in a movie theater full of adults is funny. I fucking hated it. And you know what? Actually, this has sort of recontextualized something for me because in the scene where he's meeting them all for the first time as Mrs. Doubtfire, uh, he says to Miranda, yep. like, now you wouldn't degrade uh, a child's father in front of them, would you? Like that, Like, we can't do that. So he knows. Yes. He knows the standard. Yes. He's actually kind of a fucking hypocrite, and I did not realize that before. Yep. Yep. Uh, that's in my notes later on. Yeah. Um, when little Natalie, played by Mara Wilson, when she says, why would you want mommy to die? It nearly crushed me. Yeah. And she's, she's very uh, convincing. Yes. Yeah. It's fantastic. The only two things I know this actress from are this and, um, oh, what's that movie called? Matilda. Matilda, thank you. Yeah. Uh, she's got a couple other ones that are going to bug me if I don't look it up right away. Yeah. Uh, oh, Miracle on 34th Street. That was the one. Oh, yeah. I never saw that, but okay. I saw the old one. Let's see. I think there's one more that she was in. No, I don't. I can't see. She was in BoJack Horseman. Was she? Yeah. She played Jill Pill. Okay, I think I know who that is. Okay. I have to remember that. I thought she had... No, I don't see... 
Yeah, so it's it's this Miracle on 34th Street Matilda that I know her for. And then I don't see... Yeah, I don't see anything else. She looks like she... Well, looks like she followed in uh, Daniel's footsteps. She does a lot of voice work. Makes some sense. Um, this is where we get the... Uh, you're on my time. Miranda does show up an hour early, and we've learned that she dropped her off, dropped them off an hour late. Uh, that is super shitty. That is. This is one of the first great acting scenes from Robin Williams, yeah. and I, like first great uh, dramatic acting. I mean, this is uh, that kind of bullshit is very passive aggressive. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to custody stuff, so him saying you're on my time, uh, these are my goddamn kids too. Uh, I get it. Uh. She comes up, she reveals that she's placing an ad because she wants a housekeeper. Daniel then offers to take the kids, and she's not open to the idea. So she's here. Again, this is where it just angers me. There's no reason for Daniel not to take the kids. Other than the fact, if he does, we don't have a movie. But mm -hmm. it's not. he's not a shitty dad. It's not like he's abusing them or anything like that. So the very fact that she's not even open to the idea, even though the fact she's like, I'll think about it, we all know what that means. Mm. It means that I don't want to say no in front of the kids. Mm -hmm. She's using the kids as pawns again. It's such a shitty thing. It's such a shitty thing because there is literally, outside of movie plot nations moving forward, there's no reason that Daniel should not be allowed to pick up the kids after work, have them for a couple hours, and have them back home by the time that – or have them ready at home when Miranda shows up. It is yes. such it is such a shitty thing for Miranda to do. I'm back on Team Daniel. It's it's funny. I uh, I didn't really think about this before we hit record tonight. In retrospect, it should have been obvious, but I did not expect to talk so much about the divorce proceedings and like the etiquette here. Yeah. It makes a ton of sense now that we're here, but yes. I didn't expect this to be a big part of this episode. As, as a divorced man, yeah, this was so apparent to me. <laughs> I love it. And again, thankfully... I have not had to deal with any of this. Mm -hmm. So even though she's not listening, shout out to you, Julie. You give it a little, Yeah, little for sure. Little Best ex-wife ever. <laughs> <laughs> she truly is. She's the yeah. best ex-wife I've ever had. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is also where the idea comes for Mrs. For, we don't know what's Mrs. Doubtfire, but he sabotages the ad so nobody will call. Mm -hmm. And he now figures out... Uh, I will I will be the housekeeper. He hasn't quite finalized exactly how he's going to get to do this, but we get the fake phone calls, a.k.a. another chance for Robin Williams to improv. Yeah, and he he cycles through every accent in the bag here, and <laughs> uh, is there... Does he yell for somebody to get back in their cage yes. at one point as yeah. well? Yeah, he's... Yeah, allowed, yeah, basically to just go. And I know that Chris Columbus uh, encouraged this sort of thing. Um, appar apparently, they did uh, they did multiple, multiple takes of every scene, uh, a couple scripted, and then just a couple with Robin being able to do what he does. If you hire Robin Williams, you hire him for this. Yeah. Like, like I don't know why you would discourage this. Like, as an example, I doubt Aaron Sorkin would ever have wanted to hire Robin Williams. Mm. That's a good comparison. Yeah, right? Yeah. David Fincher would probably not want Robin Williams. Probably not. No. A little too unpredictable. Yeah. A little too wild. Kubrick wouldn't want Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. 
people that are very controlling and want to. I don't to. think Robin Williams would want to work for Stanley Kubrick either. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the only, again, just minor things you notice when you're watching a movie for critical senses. It's funny that Miranda doesn't pick up on it's Robin Williams. Yeah, you would think they've been married for so long. Uh, she's heard some of these bits before, no yeah. doubt. Yeah, but whatever. Again, we wouldn't have a movie. Yeah, exactly. Just matter things. So these we are get... all things I've never thought about, but I'll make perfect sense. <laughs> I've seen the movie several times. I'm just like, oh yeah, yeah. The... <coughs> <laughs> Couldn't get to my mic in time for that one. My apologies for the cough. Uh, so he goes to create. He finally has found the voice, uh, but not the name. He has to quickly look at a uh, newspaper clipping to get the name for Mrs. Doubtfire. Doubtfire. And then he has to go to his brother. Uh, played by Harvey Firestein. <laughs> Love Harvey Firestein. Can you make me a woman? <laughs> oh, honey, I'm so happy. That's a good line. That's a good exchange. I was actually looking into uh, Harvey Firestein uh, and his biography a bit. Um, he's won four Tony Awards. Really? Yeah. Huh. In like four different categories, which ties him for the most ever. Damn. Yeah, I didn't realize he was so active and... Uh in theater yeah um i did know yeah i was just looking up on his uh, filmography or in his credits just to confirm i know that uh he played edna turnblad in hairspray which is the uh john travolta role in the movie uh and a, he's, play, a, he's played he's played her on on broadway many many times won a tony for it yeah yep. there you go that's one of the roles uh, i don't think i have seen him in too much i know who he is and i know of his reputation yep he, he's uh, i know he was a gay icon in hollywood before that was a thing one could be famous for really yep uh and of course he's also famous for that very distinct voice of his yes um uh, but yeah I, I don't i'm looking through his filmography i don't think i've seen anything he has a voice role in mulan and i i didn't know that was him but now that i know it's him i i know exactly who it is <laughs> um, if that makes sense Hold on, let me. I just want to. I was looking at him. Can I? He has a couple personal quotes. Can I share them with you? Because I found them incredibly fantastic. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, be these are his quotes, not quotes from a movie. These are actually quotes that he has said. Beware, Harvey of, Firestein. Yeah, beware of anyone who says they know. Trust me, they don't, or they wouldn't have to say that they did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Always admit when you're wrong. You'll save thousands in therapy. And a few friendships, too. Good. Uh, never be bullied into silence. Never allow yourself to be made a victim. Accept no one's definition of your life. Define yourself. Okay. And that's it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. He's a very, uh, very wise man. Yeah. Uh, so we get the, I guess, makeup montage as they try to find the right look. Uh, we get a, a, a very, uh, his Cuban look. Uh, his Cuban look, the voice he was using reminded me of uh, Hank Azaria in Birdcage. That's actually very true. I wonder if Hank Azaria drew any uh, any inspiration from that. But yeah, they sound very close. Yeah. Uh, and then we see, I think there's a, an old Jewish woman. And then we get a Barbara Streisand. Uh, and then we get Mrs. Doubtfire. This is a funny montage. I know the voices one didn't do anything for you earlier, but this is a good one. Oh, I, this I, is a great I one. This one. Yeah, this <laughs> is so fun. Um, and then we get a, a little, again, it, 
it's great music. It's too spot on. Luck be a lady tonight is mm-hmm. the song. Fantastic. Um, so Mrs. Doubtfire arrives for her interview. The open door reveal. We get to see her uh, in all her glory. She. Oh, I wish I had it. Um, the look of Mrs. Doubtfire. And Robin Williams' voice, which for me, like has it has a hint of Scottish in it. Yes, yes, that's that's very accurate. It hit that look, that voice reminds me of my grandmother on my mom's side. Really? Yeah. If I could show you, which I don't think I don't have any pictures of my grandmother handy, uh, I could show you, and while they don't look alike, you'd be like oh, I can see what he's picking up in Robin Williams that he sees in his grandmother. Gotcha. Oh, shit. Funny, I was, I was about to be like, it'd be almost weird if you did have a photo of your grandmother handy, but then I look to my right, and I'm like, oh, I have a picture of my grandparents right beside me on my desk. <laughs> I, I think I have one right right there. Um, let me see if I can quickly grab it while you talk about Mrs. Doubtfire arriving. Yeah, for sure. So we, we've just arrived. Uh, we've been introduced to Mrs. Doubtfire for the first time. And I think the note that I have on this meeting is that the first meeting is smooth as fuck from Robin Williams. He's got an answer for everything. He's so quick on his feet. Um, This part of the movie is definitely scripted, but I just mean uh, the character that he's playing is so quick and so smooth and already seamlessly transitions into this role. I somehow find it difficult. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe his kids would be suspicious off the bat. For some reason, I just feel like he looks too much like Robin Williams. Maybe that's because I'm watching as an audience member, not as a member of this imaginary world that's been created. But in my head, he just looks way too much like himself in spite of the makeup. Um, It's also kind of funny here that uh, when he's introduced, he is towering over everybody in this movie. Yeah, how tall is is Robin Williams? Yeah, he, he is towering over every single person in this movie. And he's notoriously short right i'm not i'm not making that up i don't think manny that uh that robin williams is <coughs> is like a super short person i'm gonna guess five six five six that's a good guess i uh, yeah i'm not even gonna counter guess because Seems i'm gonna wild. be wrong will that give me his height five seven five seven look at you i mean that's uh that's bang on and price is right rules Very oh, okay. close going over all right let's see if i can How's it coming on the grandma picture front? Oh, let me let me maneuver back over to the Skype window while you have that up. Okay. Oh yeah, come on. That's that's Mrs. Doubtfire right there. That's a spitting image. <laughs> yeah. That's perfect. Now that I have the actual picture, I'm like, yeah. He like he looks a lot like my grandmother. That's so funny. <laughs> Who is she's no longer with us. Yeah. A great a great great lady. As, Did you say the voice as well, or just yeah? The, uh... Well, she like my grandmother from my mom, my mom's mom, full on one hundred percent war bride. Met met my grandfather during World War Two in Scotland. Got married there. He comes back, and I think she shows up about six to nine months later. Mm. So full on Scottish girl moves from Scotland to Western Canada, and one of my favorite things she ever said is she was taking the train with other war brides. And she said, the further the train went west, the bigger the cowboy hats got. <laughs> also very true. Yeah. 
but yeah, she had she didn't have a thick Scottish accent by the time like I by the time you came around by the time I came around, but it was still there. Mm. And so while they don't sound exactly like it's very similar. So Mrs. Doubtfire always kind of reminds me of my grandmother, so I think it's probably one of the reasons that I like this movie so much mm -hmm. and the fact that it's a fun movie. And I think uh, Mrs. Doubtfire's accent is not entirely accurate to one region. Like when Pierce Brosnan calls her out yeah. for kind of having a, a mishmash accent, he kind of has to think on his feet. And says, oh, I'm kind of from all over, mm -hmm. you know. So, uh, yeah, there's probably inspiration from all over in there for totally. sure. Uh, so you did you, you you did mention here is where he we mentioned earlier this is where he calls out talking shit about the dad too right yeah yeah which is unfortunate yeah. i mean it's a, it's a great line and this is one of the moments where i was like wow he's he's so smooth talking talking his way out of this because this is this is not something that uh, uh daniel's the character's name daniel. this is not something that daniel would say this is a this is a euphigenia line he has created a separate identity yeah uh, entirely and uh yeah being reminded that daniel <laughs> shit talked uh, miranda earlier in front of the kids is uh is a bit sour but i guess reinforces that even more yeah so he's hired makes his way home and mrs selner shows up for her scheduled appointment to check on the progress that daniel is making mm -hmm. he had forgotten and he is dressed up as mrs doubtfire I would have to say, in my mind, in my memory, I, I feel like I saw this in the theater because I remember this scene getting so many laughs. Yeah, that's true. And my watching of it this time, I love how he's getting dug into a hole. But what I didn't find funny is the puns at the beginning. Oh, uh, so you're going to have to refresh my memory. With oh, puns. my God. It's chock full because he says that Daniel's here. He's dressed as Mrs. Doubtfire. He goes into the room, and as he's undressing, he starts talking about how he's oh, going through yeah, a change. Right. He's like and rapid fire yeah, one after another. There's yeah. two large things as he's, ta as he's taking off his breasts. and. Yeah. Uh, all like all these puns that he's using while he's getting undressed and i'm just like oh yeah i think the reason that this doesn't work because i feel the same way i this is not one of my favorite parts of the movie i think the reason this doesn't work is because it's a little too fourth wall breaky because there's no reason there's no in universe reason for him to be talking like this yeah there's there's no reason for him to be making these puns out loud to nobody uh except for uh this woman who can't see him yeah you know so there, there's no reason for for this dialogue to be spoken the way that it is and i get the feeling the way it's performed this was not robin williams oh no think. no 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 he i'm i'm like i love robin williams mm. i'm sorry he's, he's above this he's above it but you can't you can't do those puns that quickly off the top of your head while you, while you're in the scene mm -hmm. no <laughs> and if you can i'm sorry you're bad you're you're really good at doing bad jokes <laughs> the master this is this is like and this is this is no shade on the actual actor this is shade on the quote-unquote character that he had to play 
But this is Bob Saget, America's Funniest Home Videos level humor. Oof. Yeah. Like, I love, like, Bob Saget as a comedian is great. But Bob Saget on America's Funniest Home Videos comedy is mind-numbingly infuriating. By the time I got old enough to watch that show, uh, they were already on Tom Bergeron instead. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) All right. But we get to arguably the most famous scene in the movie. Which is? The meringue face. Oh, yeah. Which, another improv moment from Robin Williams. Uh, I'm told that the uh, the melting of the meringue off the face was unscripted. Yep. That was a, a makeup, uh, shall we say, what's the word that I'm looking for? Malfunction? Makeup malfunction. Uh, and it was supposed to stay on his face. And uh, they just kind of rolled with it. Because yep. the heat he... of the lights melted it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he did a great job. I, uh, I, <laughs> uh, the editing of the scene and the writing of the scene is really good here, um, because he's lost his face completely. We've seen it fly out onto the road and get run over. There's no recovery, um, and he needs to think quick on his feet. And uh, the meringue pie being the or the whatever that is a cake or a pie, uh, being the only thing uh, that he's able to find really quick. Uh, I don't know something about it. Like, the stakes here, even though it's a comedic scene, like, you still need to have stakes and you still need to have narrative within a scene. And honestly, the the journey of him trying to find some way to hide his face is awesome. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. Hello! <laughs> That's what? how we should open the episode. We should. Hello! Hello! Um, so, Mrs. Doubtfire is at the house her first day. She sets the rules. Uh, she makes the kids do the cleaning. Uh, I can assure you, uh, that they would rat her out for this. Oh, yeah. There's no way that Miranda wouldn't find out that the kids did the cleaning and not Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, but would Miranda really care? Like, Mrs. Doubtfire kind of has presented herself as, uh, maybe a hard ass is strong, but as somebody who has rules and standards... Right, um, and I think Miranda probably doesn't really care as long as it's not her being the bad guy. That would be my suspicion. It's fair. It's mm. fair. But I'd be a little upset that I'm paying a housekeeper to make my kids clean the house. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Daniel trying to cook. Uh, how can he be that bad at it? He's got three kids yeah. and a professional wife. So he would have He's had... made some dishes before. Yeah. So while they play up the whole single dad can't do domestic things joke here, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm at the, in 1993, I'm 17, 18 years old, and I can cook. I yeah. can't cook the extravagant meal that he presents that he orders out for. But I'm not having that explosion over on on there. I'm not grabbing a hot pan with my yeah. bare hands. Like, I get that it's played for comedy, but at the same time, I'm like, he's I would, he, he's I would a love dad. To be able, I would love to be able to tell you, Manny, that I'm head and shoulders above this. That uh, I'm the same thing. I'm far above this. I mean, I'm better than this, but like. That's about the only bar I can pass. I'm a, I'm a terrible chef. It doesn't even I'm matter. Getting be- I'm getting better. I'm that, getting better. That's great. We're improving. Perfect. But yeah. 
Terrible. Perfect. Uh, he orders a dinner, whatever, sets up. Predating Skip the Dishes. Yep. What I do like at the end of this scene as he's leaving is Lydia coming out and apologizing and mm -hmm. admitting that she's pretty messed up over the divorce. Uh, I love that scene. I love it a lot. Where he tries to send her back inside. To, oh, no, dear, don't come out here or get a chill or whatever it is that he says. Yeah. Um, now we get the... I guess, well, it's a famous... The montage. Dude looks like a lady. Which, by the way, it, it seems like the third montage that we talk about is a good time to acknowledge that what was the deal with the 90s and montages? It was just in everything. This movie is a great example of it, as well as my go-to example for a 90s movie that's chock full of montages is what the hell is going on with Rocky IV? I know that uh, T-Bone is, I that's, think... That's 80s. Is it 80s? Oh, I thought, I thought 1990 exactly. I mean, the point remains just with it being... Uh, oh, it's 85. Shit. Okay, I am off. The point remains. The same era. <laughs> it's just like there was a while there. In I guess the eighties and nineties. The, the, if you if you want to throw montages in the eighties, I'm mm. I'm a hundred percent on board. Yeah, trust me, I won't argue. Nineties, I don't feel they were as bad. Okay, fair enough. But uh, but it just seems like there was a period in Hollywood history when uh, when everything needed to have a montage in it, or like several, because this is number three in this movie, and there's at least one more. I think, maybe not. Not sure. Anyway, there's three in this one, and then Rocky Four is always my go-to example, and I can't believe I got the year off by five. It's ridiculous. I thought 1990. <laughs> I was like, Rocky Four is not 90s, my friend. That was easy for me to pull out that one. Yeah, well, it's, uh, maybe I'd have an easier time uh, getting it if it was remotely rewatchable. It's just, just a terrible movie, and T-Bone, you can quote me on that. Shots fired. <laughs> it is T-Bone. I'm not misremembering that, right? No, T-Bone loves, loves Rocky Four. Oh, right? yes. Favorite movie? Number one? No, 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 no. But, like, top ten. Top 10? Hold on. Yeah. Let me find out. You, oh, you've got T-Bone's uh, top 20 handy, do you? I do, but this is it, this was from 11 years ago. Well, now right. probably about 13 years ago. So yeah. he has Rocky Four at 1, 2, 3, 5. He's got a number 5. 5, yeah. All time. All time. Just a, just a not a good pick. Sorry, T-Bone. The rest of his movies. Huh. Oh, one of his movies, one of his other movies, Montage Heavy, and references that it's Montage Heavy. Which is? Team America World Police. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's different. That's, that's self-parody. That's calling it out. Number one is Goodwill Hunting, right? Yeah, and you know number two. Do I? Yeah. It was his pick, his first pick for the Manny Movie Club. Oh, is it? Uh, uh, no, who did? What did T-Bone pick? Was, was T-Bone Life as a House? Yeah. Or was that some, oh, it was Life as a House. Just also not a good movie. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you were the only one to give it a failing grade. I was the only one to give it a grade? You were the only grade? one to give it a failing grade. Really? Yeah. I guess you were just looking up that today, right? Like, yeah. That's why you have that info so handy right now. Yeah. But it's not a good movie. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Wow. Hayden I'm Christensen. I really hope T-Bone listens to this episode. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Sorry, T-Bone. You're a good guy. Oh, I wouldn't, I was... go, th I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> okay, you're a reasonable guy. I wouldn't go and, that far uh, either. Goodwill Hunting is a great movie. He's a reasonably annoying guy. Yeah. I'm surprised you haven't referenced his nose yet. I'll, with, I'll withhold. I'll withhold. Wow. He's been, a little bit he's of restraint. Been, he's been nice to me this week because I'm sick. 
Aw, that's I so know. nice. Uh, so, meh, meh, meh. Stuart comes over. Daniel starts attacking Stuart verbally as Mrs. Doubtfire and starts laying the groundwork of the groundwork starts laying the groundwork or foundation for sabotaging Miranda. Mm-hmm. This is super shitty. Yeah, are, are you talking about um, when Miranda comes to him for advice and he says uh, he, he's saying uh, le- complete lifelong celibacy yep. or whatever? Yeah, that's even though I get it. It is just immature. Yeah. And a little much. I feel like this would be like a red flag for me as Miranda. I'd be like, wow, this woman's like really fucking old school and crotchety. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But whatever. Uh, again, one of the things we talked about uh, since we're in spoilers that, that this movie doesn't have your cliched ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I also love is that Stuart's not a shitty person. He doesn't do anything shitty. He's not shitty to Miranda. He's not shitty to the kids. Yeah. The the closest thing we get to him doing something shitty in this movie is him saying uh, about Robin Williams, who is not there, or he thinks is not there, what can I say? The guy's a loser. Yeah. And he's not saying that to any of the family members. He's not trying to undermine the family's trust in their dad. That's like the one time where he says or does anything negative. And, and- from his perspective... Daniel is the yeah. only the only things he's the only thing the only thing he knows about Daniel is what Miranda's told him, and that he can't hold down a job. He is irresponsible. Always made her out to be the bad guy. Always made her out to be the bad guy, and then also, it's obvious that Stuart has always carried a torch for Miranda since high school. So he sees Miranda as somebody worth having. And so he's, he sees this guy who is married to her and let her get away and didn't treat her the way that she should be treated. So, of course, he thinks that Daniel's a fucking loser. Mm-hmm. Just like any time like I've – well, it's a little different, but I have a lot of female friends. And when they date a guy and the guy treats them like shit and, and, and they break up, I'm like, well, that guy's a fucking loser because like, you're mm-hmm. fucking awesome. Like, how yeah. – Right? So it's it's the same thing. So I don't think he's doing anything wrong. I think No, not at all. I, and and that's something I love because they could easily have made him a piece of shit. Yeah, it would have been so easy. It's always easy to set these characters up to be fucking assholes so that we can have an easier time rooting for our protagonist in comparison. Yep. Like, oh, compared to this guy, Daniel's a saint. Daniel's a great dad and he's providing for them compared to this asshole. But no, Pierce Brosnan's character is... Uh, dare I say a delight? Yes, I. On top I, of being very attractive. Yes, very attractive. Yeah. Uh, the next scene is one didn't quite age well for me, and this is when Chris and Lydia find out. Oh, this yeah, this is the probably the worst scene in the movie for me. It's the worst scene in the movie because it hasn't aged well, but it also doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you thought of this, but Daniel makes a stupid mistake of going to the washroom and leaving the door open. Yeah, uh, standing up to pee. Yeah, stupid mistake that he should that he should be. He knows that this is where he needs to be the most careful. So whatever. Mm-hmm. Chris sees him pissing and freaks out. Him running to Lydia and saying he's a she he 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 she she. I won't lie, made me giggle a little bit. It's it's a great it's a great delivery from that actor. Mm-hmm. 
What bugs me here, and I love, so it's revealed that it's his dad, that it's their dad. They kind of are obviously a little freaked out by it. But Chris's reaction to his dad wearing those clothes and being either, however you want to put it, either homophobic or transphobic, whatever mm -hmm. you want to put it, obviously shitty in today's thing. But what doesn't make sense is that Chris has a gay uncle. That is true. Robin Williams' brother is gay and living with another man that he is referenced as Aunt Jack, which, cheap joke, but whatever. Mm-hmm. So this, he's had a gay uncle in his life the whole time, unless Chris is a completely shitty person, which this movie has not presented in any way, shape, or form. There's no reason that he should be feeling this way. Zero. That is entirely true, and I did not pick up on it. <laughs> I did pick up on Chris being shitty, 100%. Yes. I, this character did not endear himself to me, really at any point in the movie, but in particular here. I was, I was not Team Chris. In, in this scene uh, but yeah putting into perspective that he has like a gay man prominently in his life yes and then he acts like this towards his dad for wearing women's clothes to be closer to him it's like I know we already acknowledged that children are psychopaths and are just generally shitty people but it's worth acknowledging again here was, this is this is low yeah this is it his, his reaction to this didn't didn't sit well mm -mm. again both from obviously with today with today's lens on but also because of his fucking family mm -hmm. he has a gay family member so doesn't it, it doesn't sit with me so least favorite scene fine yeah i'll i'll throw that out there as well dinosaur show robin williams go <laughs> nope not here Oh, this is where he's this. This isn't where he goes on the closed set. This is what's being filmed. Oh, you're talking. Yeah. The uh, the original host. Yeah. The original host, which I'm sorry. There's no way that this show would be on for 25 years. No way. Unless, maybe on maybe on some terrible local network. Public access. Yeah. Public access is yeah. what I'm looking for. But may, probably not in San Francisco. Not a chance. Yeah. So but whatever. It sets things up. So he, he rips the show to the head of the studio, apparently, uh, which is funny that he works there and doesn't know what the head of the studio looks like. Mm -hmm. But fine. Uh, makes for a fun little joke you see uh, coming from a mile away. Mrs. Doubtfire is back at the house. Uh, her and Miranda have a deep talk, and they start talking about Daniel. She starts opening up to Mrs. Doubtfire, and then she starts talking about how it's here that you mentioned earlier. This is where she talks about how Daniel couldn't open up to her and wouldn't listen. And was... I think this is, I think this is one of the highlights of the movie. Mm -hmm. Personally, I think this is great work by Sally field. And this is the first glimmer. I think of a character arc that we see from Daniel, uh, where he, even though he's being Mrs. Doubtfire in the scene, he's listening mm -hmm. to Sally field for probably the first time in their entire history together. He's listening to her and acknowledging her concerns and her feelings, yep. something that he was never able to do by himself. And of course, he <laughs> it took becoming a woman and becoming a different person to be able to show this side of himself. Uh, so yeah, I think this is one of the best scenes of the movie. It's super well acted and super well written, and I find it very heartwarming. Yeah, I agree. Stu invites them to some type of 
country club pool, I guess. I that guess. has has some type of exclusivity membership to it. I don't know. Okay. I don't. It didn't look that impressive to me. But what was impressive is Pierce Brosnan doing that dive. This is what I rewound four times to see if it was actually him. And it's him. Yeah. I can't find the cut because they shoot this perfectly to make you think it could be a cut and then they show you it's not. Hmm. So there's a shot from far away where you see Pierce Brosnan up on the diving board, full thing, so you can see the whole thing. Then it cuts to them for their reaction, and then it cuts back to him close up. So midriff only, and immediately I'm like, okay, it's not him. So you only see like head to midriff. But then it goes to wide shot, and you see it's him up there diving and doing the flip. All in what one, a, one take. What a weird way of shooting that, though. Like if the po- if the point of having somebody do their own stunt is that you can have them in camera the entire time and just have a wide shot. Hey, look at this guy doing this thing. Like, why add that edit in? Doesn't make sense. I don't know to show off his body even more. I don't know. I mean, fair enough. But I rewound it three times to make sure that it's him, and I w- I'm gonna go 99% positive it's him. Good on you. Good yeah. on you, Pierce Brosnan. So and it's. Do you remember that he does like three fucking flips? Mm-hmm. Like perf- not like. The kind of like backyard pool flips that dudes do. Like he had well, like what you would actually see somebody who's remotely athletic do. Yes, I was like, you know, unfamiliar territory for you and I, I'm sure. Oh, but. so besides besides, and I'm not even talking about the character of Stuart. I'm talking about Pierce Brosnan. So besides mm-hmm. the fact that you are incredibly rich, incredibly handsome, and incredibly charming, you're also athletic. You can go fuck yourself. Yeah. They didn't have to make the character a bad guy to make him hateable. Yeah, I hate him. <laughs> we are definitely relating with the protagonist in this area because, yeah, the the movie does a good job showing you everything through Daniel's eyes, and it's so easy to be jealous and hateful of Stuart. Yeah, he has everything. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> I hate him. Uh, so we get uh the reoccurring jokes of. Mrs. Doubtfire constantly throwing jabs at Stuart. Mm-hmm. And he starts to get drunk. He's invited to go swimming and obviously cannot. I wonder if he ever, not that he would ever obviously get into a swimsuit in this getup because it would be impossible. But there's a couple scenes where he's shown on the bus and his stockings slip down. I wonder if he ever considered shaving his legs, even though he wears stockings the whole time. Yeah, commit to the part, man. I just, uh, I just he, like we all know that, or I should say we all know, but it's for people my age that grew up with Robin Williams. It's widely known that he is an incredibly hairy person. Oh yeah, for sure. So I'm sure for the character of Daniel, who is Robin Williams' body, the idea of shaving your legs would be a daunting task. And then, of course, obviously, you still have your life as Robin William or as Daniel. So, yeah, you wouldn't want to shave your legs because being out in public as Daniel explaining why you've shaved your legs would be more difficult. Okay, it makes sense. I take it back. Okay. I take it back. We got to the bottom I, of it. I worked gang. through it. We got there. But he starts getting drunk, which sets up what happens later on at the Bridges restaurant. Mm. Gets I, a little. Uh, Oh. I like it at the pool, by the way, when uh, when he refuses to go in, uh, Stuart, I think, pats him on the shoulder 
and he has this great under the breath delivery of touch me again and I'll drown you you bastard yeah <laughs> gets drunk kind of hits on a girl a little bit kind of forgetting where he's at and what he looks like yeah a little bit of foreshadowing yeah then he this is what you mentioned earlier he's eavesdropping on Stu not on purpose but he just sees Stu coming over and hides behind the uh, the the tower of fruit and we hear that Stu's a good guy and that while he's been a lifelong bachelor he's really fallen for Miranda and he loves their kids yeah in a, in a lesser movie this would be the scene where he's like yeah I'm just gonna fuck this girl and don't care about her kids and yep. yada 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 I'm a terrible guy that's, yep. that's where we'd get this scene in a lesser movie I have uh, I do have some notes on what the original plan was for this character later mm-hmm. on uh, it's again, it's a nice departure from the cliches, and this is where we get another one of the famous quotes from the movie that I have misquoted forever. I always really honestly thought he says it's a drive-by fruiting, but it's a run-by fruiting. It's a run-by fruiting. Yeah, I've always. That's a famous line from this movie. Oh, for, for me it is. Yeah. Again, I, I was not even alive when this came out, so I'll take your word for it as far as the cultural impact is concerned. Yeah, but. it's not, like, I would say it's probably top five lines. Mm-hmm. I don't think this is an overly quotable movie. Like, there's I have a lot of quotes, but I don't mm-hmm. think this is a movie that you are offer, often referencing quote-wise. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, that's probably the case with a lot of Robin Williams' comedy and comedic performances, just because... He's so rapid fire, and the stuff that he says often isn't as funny as the way he's saying it. Correct. So it's just like, why would you quote something at half speed from the original, which is mostly funny because it's fast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I just want to acknowledge that my whole, I was like, as it was happening, I'm like, haha, drive by fruiting, run by fruiting, motherfucker. I've been misquoting this movie my whole life. God damn. I would have, I would have lost out on the Manny movie trivia game by T-Bone if he'd used it. If he had used it, but he yeah. did not. No. Alas. His loss. Uh, this is where we get to the, the part of the dinosaur show that you were uh, talking about. It's the set is closed. He's I don't know why he's there because he's not a janitor or anything. Is he just walking by? Whatever. Makes no sense. But he starts doing – we get more Robin improv, which everybody likes anyways. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if it makes a ton of in-universe sense for A – him to be there in the first place like you said yeah and b for him to even do this bit like have we seen him in this movie be this performative around nobody I, to my knowledge like every time we've seen him do this sort of improv it's been to make people laugh like we've seen him do voices uh for the mrs the, the social the social worker or the liaison yeah, yeah. mrs Selmer. Uh, we've seen him do voices and like like every improv scene we've seen from him so far has been in front of people so he's a, the well fact he's a performer that, he's a voice actor he's an actor yeah. so like why is he just walking up to this random open set and just starts riffing that's fair that make sense i love it that was something i hadn't thought of either i was bound to get one eventually nice uh it's noticed by the head of the studio who mm-hmm. invites him out for dinner Obviously, this is the real reason that we have him walking up to this open set and riffing is so that that plot point can happen. Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> real life, how desperate are you for improving your show if the guy that ships out <laughs> your 
Film Cans is the guy that you're going to take a meeting with in the hopes to improve one of your shows. Um, just need a point of clarification here, Manny. After you box them, you... Ship them. Okay, gotcha. You ship them. Okay. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Uh, we then move to Daniel's apartment. He has... Oh, did I skip over something? I think I did. Oh, yeah, I did. Um, there was a, a... Oh, it was in the montage earlier on where we see that Daniel has taken steps to actually become a better father. You see him watching the shows to learn how to cook and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So we get... Uh, a new visit to his apartment where we've seen that he has completely cleaned the place. Everything is organized. He has cooked dinner and Miranda shows up uh, and he's showing her. He's like, you know, she makes the crackle. Who have you hired to clean? He's like, nobody. I've done it myself. And then she's like, oh, the kids ready? He's like, no, they haven't had dessert because I've made. And he's like, she's like, you made dessert? He's like, yeah, I, I cook, I clean, I, I do everything. And she sees that he has made an honest effort to improve his life and his situation so he can have more time with the kids and yet she's still not willing to do it because she's worried about Mrs. Doubtfire. This is the shittiest thing in the world. Dick move. These kids want to spend more time with their father and you're like, I can't take their time away from their housekeeper. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? Team Daniel yet again. Yet again. Yeah, I love that uh, this movie is not shy about having an arc its protagonist it's uh it acknowledges all of the all of the progress that he's made um which will make it all that much more sweet when his entire charade comes crashing down inevitably yeah it, it this again just bothered me uh it i get I'm, I'm coming from a very biased point of view as a dad not that i'm fighting for more time with my kid because sadly i can't take more time because of my job but, like, if I had a job that allowed me to see my daughter more and Julie's like, nah, uh, she's, she's got this really important time with the housekeeper, <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, we're, we're going gonna need to talk about that. We're going to court because <laughs> that's just not going to happen. No longer the world's greatest ex-wife. Yeah. You just got <laughs> taken down a notch. Julie. Demoted. Yeah. Demoted, Julie. Regular ex-wife. Yeah. <laughs> You've slipped to number two. um but we do set up uh one of the funnest parts of the movie and that's the bridges restaurant where he has the dinner and the meeting at the same time yes i uh i believe in the industry this is referred to as the two dates to the prom (sighs) storyline why not just call in sick as mrs doubtfire like, right? There's, you can't tell me that she would be unable to make alternate arrangements as Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah. You cannot tell me that. There, she's at, like, we make, the movie goes to great lengths to show us that he can't make alternate arrangements with the head of the studio. Yep. Fine. That's great. Good to show it. I, I refuse to believe that none of the members of this family would accept her not showing up for this dinner. Yes. Like, you'd think she'd be able to be like, hey, what if we have dinner another time together? Because I can't. I'm a housekeeper, but I still have my own goddamn life. Yeah. Easy as that. Anyway, have to have it. Otherwise, this movie doesn't get this whole scene. Yes. This is obviously one of the highlights of the movie, so I'm happy that we go there. Yeah. It's just, you know, we need to. Yeah. Suspension of disbelief. We have to have suspension of disbelief. Exactly. Right? Just want to point it out. 
Mm -hmm. uh, we get a lot more Robin improv here. Uh, him calling out Stu for making a going down payment. Ah, uh, yes. And then uh, he makes a bunch of other references to sex and... Yeah, some, like the horizontal mambo or something like that. Yeah. Daniel sabotaging Miranda some more. I'm like, at this point, you have to fully understand and realize you're never getting back together. Mm -hmm. You really need to let it go. And if you were, if you were, you're about to have any shred of hope taken away from you. Yeah. Yeah. Shortly. I wonder, uh, there's, what, there's a great I wonder line. what his end game was. His end game? Well, I mean, he was to be reassessed after 90 days. So I guess probably to quit as Mrs. Doubtfire, I guess. Hmm. And I, I honestly don't know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe to quit as Mrs. Doubtfire and leave her desperate for help. So he can come swooping in and save the day. Mm, fair. I like that. Mm -hmm. That's the that's another thing, actually. Miranda calls Mrs. Doubtfire a member of the family, I think a couple of times. Yeah. And this all happens in the span of 90 days, I believe. Yeah. That's awfully fast. Yeah. To accept a stranger as a member of your family. Yeah. I don't know. Can't buy it. Suspension of disbelief, like you say. Yep. He starts getting drunk. Starts falling apart. The f I love that they have him get wasted for this. Yes. The uh, the anxiety that you start to get as yeah. a viewer when you see uh, <coughs> when you see the executive or the the head of the studio just go, "Oh, I I got you a couple of drinks so you can catch up." And you're like, "Oh, this is this is about to go poorly." Mr. Lundy. Mr. Lundy, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's also a great line that we kind of skipped past that I want to acknowledge when. Uh, He's trying to make an excuse to go change uh, out of his Mrs. Doubtfire costume. And he says, uh, I've got to go take some medicine. And they say, oh, well, we have water at the table. <laughs> I can't take it orally, dear. Yeah. <laughs> Great line. The physical comedy that he starts to have here, we he gets a little drunk and he walks right into the countertop. Mm -hmm. uh, it's great. He finds out that Stu is allergic to pepper. Or and pepper. tries to murder him for tries it. Tries to murder him for it. Uh, I find, again, suspension of disbelief. Uh, she just puts on a white jacket and walks right into the kitchen, and nobody says boo. Yeah. All of those kitchen workers know each other, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> intimately. Yeah. Because that... Ever worked I, in any workplace where you have to work with people closely, these people all know each other. Yeah. Okay, fine. <laughs> uh, he sits at the wrong table with addressed as Mrs. Doubtfire, mm -hmm. Stu starts choking. And what I do love here is that he doesn't really hesitate. Is he realizes what he's done and does the right thing. I love the visual of him dressed as Mrs. Doubtfire running through the crowd and leaping yeah, over tables. Sprinting like, yeah. a, like a linebacker, just like pushing people out of the way. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, starts doing the Heimlich and then the reveal that it's Daniel and the kid's devastation especially little Natalie yep because obviously she's the only one who doesn't know at this point so yep. she's shocked and probably irreparably scarred yeah and never able to trust her father again uh huh seems like a reasonable conclusion uh, Sally Field's Thank performance you. in this scene again 
so good. Uh, amazing. She's towing the. She, it's not quite dramatic and it's not quite comedic. It does make me laugh. The the way she just contorts her face the whole time is yes. so funny. Yeah. And this, really this good. But, her, I, oh, but so, I don't even think it's comedic. Like, it's so genuine. Yes. And, and so authentic. It's, it's a really good performance in the scene from her. It's her. This is her best moment. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. She nails it. Uh, we go to court. He gives a very impassioned speech about being a good dad. Um, yep. The movie no longer is making us suspend disbelief because... This is exactly what should have happened at this hearing. Yep. The judge basically tells him, you're fucking psycho, and I am taking your kids away from you. <laughs> yep. As probably should have happened. Yes, because the best thing about this movie is that, obviously with Daniel being our protagonist, we see what he's doing as, as crazy as it is reasonable. Mm -hmm. We want him to be with his kids because we know he's a good dad. But if you were someone looking at the from the outside of this situation, this is psychotic. Yes, And so the, the judge's reaction is warranted. And it's devastating. But what Honestly, I... to, to Daniel's credit, he even acknowledges that. He's like, I can only plead insanity. Yep. This, the only reasonable explanation for what I did is that not being around my kids makes me insane. Yep. Which, fair enough. What I love here is they show a shot of Miranda who finally realizes that he is a good dad. She looks over and she's like, oh, I get it. But a little bit too late. Yep, way too late. Yeah. The verdict he gets is pretty harsh, And but warranted. Yeah. I'm not saying, like, they're, like, they went over the line, but knowing the way he feels about his kids and the passion he has to be present in their life and to be a f present father, this was devastating. You know what? From the moment that Sally Field chews him out at Bridges to the end of the movie, the dramatic acting in this movie really steps up a notch. Like, we we get to see, um, like, this movie begins to separate itself from other feel-good family comedies because you have two super talented actors at the helm of this movie, Sally Field and Robin Williams, um, not just for their comedic chops, but, like, their dramatic chops in the back half of this movie really, uh, really seal it yep. for me. I agree. The family starts to miss Mrs. Doubtfire, including Miranda, which I guess is odd since well, she... Well, Mrs. Doubtfire was a confidant yeah. for Miranda, and we see that in a couple of scenes, and she is somebody that Miranda trusts and goes to for advice within 90 days of having met her, but fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think... It would make sense. It is like losing a member of the family a little bit in a super weird, fucked up way. I think I can buy this. I can. She's on TV. Conveniently timed. Mm -hmm. But whatever. Show's a hit. I don't see how this would be a hit. No. no As a kid, I, I would not want to watch this. One of the this. least believable things about this movie is that this exec who has seen, who, who calls this meeting with Daniel Hillard uh, for the sole reason that he's seen him riff and just been able to go. And is like, this personality is who I need on my show. And then the fact that that guy wants to erase his own personality and substitute in this woman character who's just a sweet old lady, the fact that the executive would be on board with that 
is a weird thing. Yes. It's a weird thing. Yes. Because the tone, the tone of the show is not much different than what the old boring guy was. Yes. Right? Where I can get that seeing Daniel doing that riffing would up the tempo and the excitement and the energy of the show, but Mrs. Doubtfire is so low-key. It just doesn't make sense. You're, it, it, the change isn't that dramatic. It's just a different gender. I don't know. But whatever. That's yeah. that's nitpicking. But Miranda shows up. And Daniel lashes out. Another spectacularly acted scene. Yep. Uh, this time, Robin Williams really gets to be the heavy hitter. Um, and, yeah, he he once again for i think the second or third time in this movie just plays desperate so well he has lost everything that he cares about basically yes he's gotten this great show but uh he's empty yeah he's not able to see his kids at all anymore it's heartbreaking isn't it no doesn't he have he has supervised visits yeah supervised visits which is ugh. oh such a disgusting phrase it is supervised visits like that is the the insult that comes with that as a parent. Yes. Like, you are not fit to be with your children by yourself. Yeah. You need to have your hand held oh. so, we, so you don't irreparably fuck up your child. That's um, devastating. They still fight here, and I like it because it shows that we're not going to get the cliched ending. Yeah, it's still like, – everything's still so raw. They've both really torn each other apart in these divorce proceedings. Yeah. And, yeah, there's no coming back from that. And I'm glad that we don't. This is kind of what I was referencing in the non-spoiler section at the beginning. The fact that the movie recognizes that there's no coming back from this is smart. Agreed. I'm sure you'll probably have a trivia note on this, but the ending for this movie was changed several times. Yep. The, the ending that we got is very close to the original ending. They switched it to the Hollywood ending. Which is they get back together and they all get to reunite as one happy family. And then they realized it was terrible and then pushed it back. Yeah. Um, and they were wise to do so because this movie works so much better when their marriage stays finished. Yep. Agreed. So we get the somewhat, I don't know, climactic ending where they're ha they, they have a, a new housekeeper. And they open the door and it's Daniel. When Natalie says, Daddy... This close to tears. tears. This yeah. close. <laughs> this yeah. close to tears. I believe it. And uh, it's. I think it. I think this is. I guess for lack of a better, it's over. It's overdubbed with Mrs. Doubtfire explaining about divorce and love and how there's different families. Yeah. Very, very nice ending. Yeah. And again, for '93, I'm sure this was very progressive. Yep. I'm it sure was. this was like wow. Families do take on different shapes and sizes. It's not just a mom and dad and kids. Yep. Like, sometimes they, sometimes it's different. Yep. And that's Mrs. Delphire. Yeah, easy. I you, actually, to be honest with you, we spent a little bit longer on that than I would have expected. But, yeah. Um, you know, a lot of that was nitpicking from both of us. <laughs> As it tends to be. As it tends to be. Yes. All right, let's get to some of the trivia here. Uh, according to one biography, Robin Williams decided to test out the believability of his Mrs. Doubtfire character during filming by going as Mrs. Doubtfire into an adult bookstore and making a purchase. He was able to do so without being recognized. 
He would also walk around San Francisco as Mrs. Doubtfire to see if he could get away with it. Uh, during the scene when Mrs. Selner comes to inspect Daniel's apartment and Daniel and Mrs. Doubtfire are serving her tea, the icing on his face is melting off. This was not intentional. The heat from the set lights melted the icing on his face and Robin Williams was forced to improvise the bulk of the scene. Uh, Chris Columbus would use two or three cameras at a time when shooting Robin Williams scenes. Uncertain of what the famously improvisational actor bleh, would come up with, Columbus viewed shooting these scenes as if he were filming a documentary. Very true. Um, the prosthetic mask used by Robin Williams in the film is actually a prop. The real makeup was made up of eight separate pieces. Yes, I meant to bring that up at the time that uh, uh, we were talking about the scene where his mask flies out the window. Mm -hmm. that's, that's not a mask. It's not his mask. Yeah. Uh, according to director Chris Columbus, Robin Williams improvised so much that there is a PG, PG-13, and R edits of the film, even though it was always intended to be released as PG-13. Release the R-rated cut, goddammit. Yes, please. We need that. Uh, Chris, uh, we already talked about that. Um, during the restaurant scene where Mrs. Doubtfire's teeth fall into the wine glass, the cast didn't know Robin Williams was going to do that. And so the reactions on the film were genuine. There's a line in that scene, by the way, that I forgot to acknowledge. He, he says, as he's trying to fish them out of the glass, he says, Carpe Dentum, yeah. seize the teeth. <laughs> I don't think I've ever caught that line before. It's no? Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Um, the address given by Miranda while on the phone with Mrs. Doubtfire is the actual physical address of that house. Okay. Is that, is that wise? Ah, uh, people find out addresses of those houses anyways. I got case in point, Breaking Bad House, right? Breaking Bad House. Um, the Fast and the Furious house is very popular mm. as well. Okay. What I hear. Uh, same I, uh, with I'm the... Told that oh, please The go owners ahead. of the Breaking Bad house uh, had to put up a fence because people wouldn't uh, stop throwing pizzas onto their roof. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, the... I guess there's no way to say this. The Full House House is also a popular destination. Right. Yeah. Um, talk of a sequel began in 2003 with a script being written by Bonnie Hunt. Uh, Robin Williams was set to return in disguise as an old nanny like in the first movie. Due to problems with the script, rewriting began as early as, 20, as 2006 as Williams was allegedly unhappy with the plot. The film was expected to be released in late 2007, but following further script problems, the sequels were declared scrapped. The sequel story was originally said to involve Williams, as Mrs. Doubtfire, moving close to his daughter's college so he could keep an eye on her. Serious discussions regarding the sequel reignited in April 2014 with an announcement that Williams and Chris Columbus would be teaming up with Fox 2000 Pictures to produce the sequel. Williams' sudden death just four months later ultimately sealed the project's fate once and for all. And you know what? You, you just can't make this movie without robin williams as as we've established yeah you just can't make it i don't him. think you need to make a sequel to this nope we are good and yeah and he can't play mrs doubtfire and be close to his daughter because she knows him like it makes yeah, no there's sense. no reason for him to be in the getup because yeah. the jig is up everybody knows um the actor playing the bartender in the pool scene the one that's talking to pierce brosnan mm -hmm. uh, he's in the credits as dr toad but his real name is Robert Todd Williams, the half-brother of Robin Williams. <laughs> right on. Um, at the time of filming, Sally Field was going through a divorce. 
with film producer Alan Grazman. That must have been a little real. Yeah. Uh, this is what you were mentioning earlier. The producers fired the original screenwriter because of an unhappy ending where the parents did not get back together. After several rewrites with a different happy ending, they realized that the original ending was, in fact, better because they did not want to create the illusion that divorced parents will eventually get back together. They rehired the original writer and went back to the original ending. Mm. And the last one, after Robin Williams' death, a lot of fans of this movie and Williams' career flocked to the real address of the house at 2640 Steiner Street and set up a memorial. That's sweet. That is sweet. I like that. Uh, some casting what-ifs. When Anne Fine was approached to make a movie out of her novel, her original choice for the lead role was Warren Beatty. Because Beatty's reputation as a Grace womanizer, she thought it would be hysterical to see him dress up and pretend to be a woman. That's good. That's a good pick. Leslie Nielsen, Dustin Hoffman, Jack Nicholson, Christopher Lloyd, Gene Wilder, John Cleese, and George Carlin were all considered for the role of Mr. Lundy. That's the studio oh. executive. I thought you were going to say uh, they were all uh, considering being cast for uh, for the Mrs. Doubtfire character. And I thought, you know what, Leslie, Leslie Nielsen, <laughs> I want to live in a world where that happens. But he, was, he would have been too old for it. What about Jack Nicholson? Jack Nicholson would have been horrifying. <laughs> Absolutely horrifying. Uh, I don't know if you know this actress, but Christina Ricci was considered for the role of Lydia. Uh, I think so? The name rings a bell. She was one of my childhood crushes. Right, yeah. And I think I've talked about her before because I had a crush on her when I shouldn't have had a crush on her. Because I think I'm about four or five years older on her, and the first time I saw her, she would have been about like 14, 15, and I would have been like 18, and I was like, she's delicious and i shouldn't be saying that i'm fully admitting it now i know it was inappropriate we were very yeah. like we were both in high school at the same yeah. time but yeah well it's good good of you to get that off your chest manny yeah <laughs> um, yeah i don't think i know her from just about anything i've seen fear and loathing in las vegas but not for a long time i don't really remember her in it let's see here yeah there's a five there's five years difference so hold on. I'm going to find out how creepy I was. Okay. My money's on very, just so, having known you. Oh, damn it. It's even creepier. I don't really want to admit it now. <laughs> don't worry. I'm sure, I'm sure if anyone's curious, they can recreate the timeline on their own time. Yeah. She, <laughs> she was 12. I was 16. That would have been roughly. Yikes. Damn it. Yikes. All right. I feel even worse because I definitely thought she was older. I'm horrible. <laughs> I admit it. Gross. Let's move on. Yes. Uh, Tim Allen was offered the roles of Mrs. Doubtfire and Daniel and the role of Stu. He would have been a pretty good Mrs. Doubtfire and probably not a great Stu. I think he would have been a good Stu if Stu wasn't a good person. Yeah, like he would have been a good shitty stepdad. Yeah. Good evil stepdad. I think you'd like this one. Blake Lively was considered for the role of Natalie. What? The five-year-old. I didn't realize she was even acting that long. Yeah. Uh, she made it to the final round of auditions, and it was between her and Mara who eventually won it. How different things could have been. All right. Are you ready for all the people that were considered to play Daniel? All right. Lay it on me. All right. Brian Cranston. All right. Mel Gibson. Ugh, again, we're in the early 90s, so... We don't yeah. know he's shitty yet. We don't know we he's don't... shitty yet. Yeah. 
I'm sure some people knew, but yeah, the public did not. Uh, so far, Brian Cranston better pick. Harrison Ford. <laughs> I think I think he would have been too rugged. I agree. I don't think he would have taken it seriously enough. Tom Hanks. Would have been awesome. Rick Moranis. Sure. Bill Murray. Would have probably been... Right now, between Bill Murray and Brian Cranston. Those are my picks out of these ones. Over Tom Hanks? Tom Hanks would have also been good. I would have also been okay with that. All right. Michael Keaton. Sure. Yep. Alec Baldwin. Okay. Steve Martin. Okay. Kevin Klein. All right. Bill Paxton. Okay. John Candy. I Does John Candy have any roles where he's dressed in drag? Not that I'm aware of. Yeah, interesting. I'd be curious about that. I'm not saying that's the way I would go, but I'd be curious about that one. This It works. The only problem is, and I, I hate to point this out, his size makes this difficult. Right, because the transformation wouldn't be as... Uh, pronounced. As pronounced, yeah. That's actually a good point. But I, I mean, even overlooking that, I think he probably would have uh, performed it pretty well. Kurt Russell. Would have weirded me out. That's... I, I don't know. I... I I don't know about that one. Arnold Schwarzenegger. That would have just been peak 90s. That would have been peak 90s, and I would not have been okay with it. Chevy Chase? Sure. Michael J. Fox? Is an interesting choice. Uh, I haven't seen Michael J. Fox in that much. Mm -hmm. Knowing him primarily from Back to the Future, I'm going to pass okay. on that, I think. Kevin Bacon? Okay. Jerry Seinfeld. I, I don't think many of these guys have the comedic chops to pull this off. Like, obviously, we're, the comparison is with Robin Williams, so uh -huh. fair enough. But uh, Jerry Seinfeld's... No. No. Billy Pass. Crystal. Yes. Billy Crystal's a good pick. He's maybe one of the only other people who could do this justice. Dennis Quaid. No. John Travolta. I mean... I like John Travolta in Hairspray, where he plays a woman, mm -hmm. where he dresses in drag. So, I mean, it feels feels like a natural transition. I, I think John Travolta could have done a good job. Does John Travolta have a lot of straight-up comedic roles? Yeah. Does he? Okay. They're not good. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. They're not good. Bill Pullman. Okay. Richard Gere. Okay. Robert De Niro. Also, would have no, no, I, I can't, I can't have that happen. Jeff Daniels. I would be on board with that. I'd be curious about his performance. Bruce Willis. For some, there's, there's something about the, the actors who have the really, really intense macho personas. I just hate that trope mm -hmm. of just like have, like where the entire source of the comedy is like, look at this macho guy dressed up like a woman. Yeah, like, I, I just, I need more than that. You know, Rowan Atkinson would have done a great job. Would have G done a great job. Jim Carrey also would have done a great job, but that's heavy Homer bias. You know, how <laughs> I, I, I saw you smile as soon as yeah. I said the name. <laughs> I, I would, I would have been on board with that. Tom Cruise. Um, interesting choice. Yeah, that's gonna that's pass. one. That's the one that interests me the most. Yeah, no, just yeah. be. I just want to see how he would play it. Mm-hmm. That's curious. All right. Sean Penn. No. <laughs> no. Nah, not Sean Penn. Sorry. 
Two left. Okay. Two of my favorite actors. I don't think either one works. George Clooney. <laughs> no, but okay. And Kevin Costner. No. No. Come on. No. No. You wouldn't <laughs> want to see either of those guys in this. George, either of those guys would have made a fine stew. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh... So that whole list, besides Jim Carrey, which one are you wanting to see? What was the first one that you said again? Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston. That that feels interesting to me. Besides Jim Carrey. God, that's tough. Um, you know, I initially gravitated towards Bill Murray, but I. Now, since you called me out on it, I kind of like Tom Hanks a little bit more. God, that's really tough. Um, this may be a surprising pick for me. Yeah. I'm really curious to see what uh, Brian Cranston would have done. All right. I'm going Tom Cruise. I got to see it. Interesting. Okay. I got to see it. <laughs> Especially after seeing his transformation in Tropic Thunder. That is very true. Yeah. With with some prosthetics yeah. and, uh, and a little bit of uh, insanity. Yeah. You could pull some stuff off. Yeah. All right, favorite quote? I have eight. Okay. Number one is from Daniel. Did you ever wish you could sometimes freeze frame a moment in your day, look at it, and say, this is not my life? That's a good one. Number two is from Mrs. Doubtfire. Sink the sub, hide the weasel, park the porpoise, a bit of the old Humpty Dumpty, little Jack Horny, the horizontal mambo, hmm? the bone dancer, rumple foreskin, baloney bop, a bit of the old cunning linguistics. Nice. This is the last one where I wish I could do a, a Mrs. Doubtfire accent, and this is long, but I'm going to read the whole thing anyways. And this is the overlay at the end. Dear Mrs. Doubtfire, <coughs> Two months ago, my mom and dad decided to separate. Now they live in different houses. My brother Andrew says that we aren't to be a family anymore. Is this true? Did I lose my family? Is there anything I can do to get my parents back together? Sincerely, Katie McCormick. Oh, my dear Katie. You know, some parents, when they're angry, they get along much better when they don't live together. They don't fight all the time, and they can become better people and much better mummies and daddies for you. And sometimes they get back together, and sometimes they don't, dear. And if they don't, don't blame yourself. Just because they don't love each other anymore doesn't mean that they don't love you. There are all sorts of different families, Katie. Some families have one mummy, some families have one daddy, or two families, and some children live with their uncle or aunt. Some live with their grandparents and some children live with foster parents. And some live in separate homes in separate neighborhoods in different areas of the country. And they may not see each other for days or weeks or months, even years at a time. But if there's love, dear, those are the ties that bind. And you'll have a family in your heart forever. All my love to you, puppet. You're going to be all right. Bye-bye. That's a fantastic one. That was good a good delivery, one. Manny. I, almost, I was almost going to cry. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, for Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, sir, I saw it. Some angry member of the kitchen staff. Did you not tip them? Oh, the terrace. They ran that way. It was a run by fruiting. I'll get them, sir. Don't worry. <laughs> now, this is the quote, and it's not what is said. It's the delivery, which I'm unable to reproduce. Okay. But it's Miranda. The whole time? I mean the whole time? The whole time? <laughs> That's the best I can do. That's pretty good. Uh, Mrs. Doubtfire is number six. Oh, as I hold this cold meat, I'm reminded of Winston. And number seven is uh, Mrs. Doubtfire Miranda. Marriage can be such a blessing. So can divorce. <laughs> and number eight is from Mrs. Doubtfire. Hello! 
Oh, that's good. <laughs> Those are my. <laughs> See, you had that impression in you the whole time. I well, that one's easy. It's one word. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised we have very little overlap. Uh, honestly, some of yours I wish I had thrown on mine as well. Uh, I have six okay. for the best quotes. I, I did struggle a little bit with these just because, kind of like we said earlier, a lot of it is just delivery. Yes. A lot of it isn't even even isn't even the line. One hundred. Anyway, I got six. Uh, number one is we're his goddamn kids too. Oh, I wish I'd put that in there. Good one. Good one. Number two, touch me again and I'll drown you, you bastard. <laughs> uh, number three, if I find the misogynistic bastard who invented heels, I'll kill him. <laughs> uh, number four, Mr. Hillard, do you consider yourself humorous? I used to. There was a time when I found myself funny, but today you have proven me wrong. Thank you. <laughs> and number five, carpe dentum, seize the teeth. <laughs> uh, and number six, I'm not going to do the whole thing like you did, but it's the outro monologue. For outro monologue, okay. My winner for favorite quote was picked before I started reading the quotes. And after reading the quotes, I kind of, I almost want to change it. Mm. But I'm going to stick with my original decision. And that's, hello! <laughs> because I still say that to this day. Uh, you know what? Against my best judgment, I'm going to go with the one that made me laugh most recently, which is Carpe Dentum Sees the Teeth. Nice. Uh... Then question for you, what were you going to pick? Was it going to be the outro? It, yeah, that was probably my, my other pick. Uh, I don't usually pick a winner until I've read them all off, just, mm -hmm. to, just to make it nice and fresh and authentic, but I'm going to go with Carpe Dentum. Yeah, I really wanted to pick the outro. Mm -hmm. uh, favorite scene, I have five. Okay. I have the opening voiceover work scene. I have Mrs. Selner's visit, and so that's the one with the hello in it. Mm-hmm. I have the Miranda and Mrs. Doubtfire talk. Oh, sorry, I have six. Um, I have the pool. I have the uh, Bridges restaurant. And then I have the outro. Hmm. All right, I got seven. Okay. Uh, I have Sally Field and Pierce Brosnan being reintroduced. Uh, their, their first meeting in years oh. where she's acting all smitten. Interesting. Uh, I have the makeup montage. Okay. The, yeah. They're trying to find the right look for uh for Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, number three, Mrs. Doubtfire talking to Miranda about Daniel. Okay. Uh, number four, uh, what I have referred to as the two dates to the prom at Bridges. Yep. Uh, number five is uh Daniel having custody taken away from him. Uh, right after Bridges. Okay. Uh, six, uh, Miranda uh coming to visit him on set. Uh, right after the previous scene we just talked about, and then the outro monologue as well. All right. My winner is the uh, Two Dates to the Prom at Bridges Restaurant. Yeah, that's a good pick. Um, uh, gosh, there's... Uh, it, for me, it's probably between that one and uh, Miranda visiting him on set. I'm probably going to go Two Dates to the Prom as well. It's like the comedic highlight of the movie. Awesome. All right, closing credits. Are there any Oscar-worthy performances in this film? Uh, I don't have the Oscar year pulled up. Uh, do we want to entertain the thought of Robin Williams for a second? Okay. <laughs> so we can entertain it. Okay. So we have the five nominees again. We've talked about, I think we talked about this last week. Yes, we did. Uh, we have Tom Hanks for Philadelphia. Right. Daniel Day-Lewis for The Name of the Father. Lawrence Fishburne for What's Love Got to Do With It. You haven't seen it, so you can't mm -hmm. take him out. No. Anthony Hopkins for The Remains of the Day and Liam Neeson for Schindler's List. Yeah, I don't think I can take anyone out. Um, I, I, it's this is such a strong year. I would love to take out Anthony Hopkins, 
and sub in Robin Williams, but I honestly can't. I know. Anthony Hopkins is too good. He's so good in that movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it would be a close uh, close miss, but I, I just I can't uh, in good faith do it. Um, okay, what about Sally Field over Emma Thompson? Not a chance. No? No. I love Sally Field's performance in this movie. I know, but she, for me, acting-wise, she doesn't have enough to do. Yeah. She has the one great the whole time scene and then a couple decent scenes where she's talking, but it's more about Robin Williams. Yeah. And like I said, Emma Thompson only has one scene in, in the name of the father, but it's so good. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. No, I, I, I think uh, the Academy got it right with those omissions, unfortunately. Yeah. In another weaker year, I could have Robin Williams in Best Actor 100%. For sure. Yeah. Wow. I can't wait to talk about <laughs> Best Actor when we wrap yeah, it up. Yeah, it's going to be a tough one. Uh, any other aspects of the film are word-worthy? It did win for Best Makeup. Would you nominate anything else from this movie? I don't think so. I'm trying to think of anything else. Like I said, the score is a little pedestrian. Um yeah, I mean, there's a couple moments of good editing in there, but nothing that I really noticed. No. Yeah, so, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pass. I, I got nothing. nothing here. Weak link of the film. Uh, the parenting. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go with Chris's homophobia. Also a good answer. Also a very good answer. Yeah. Was this anyone's career highlight? Um, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Uh, for me personally. This is often the movie I think about when I think about Robin Williams' comedic performances. Obviously, uh, uh, Good Will Hunting is my second favorite movie of all time, and I love his performance in that one, but it's a little more dramatic. Um, I don't think I can honestly say this is Robin Williams' career highlight, especially without looking at his filmography, because he just had such a long and successful career and so many great, uh, such, a, such a great and diverse filmography. Um, yeah, I, I don't really know. I don't think Sally Field. I don't think... Uh, I, I don't know. Probably not anyone's, which is weird for me to say because this is like such a famous comedy, I think. But yeah, my instinct says no. Nobody's highlight. The funny thing is, if I'm not mistaken, while I understand why... Bias aside, even trying to put your bias aside, you'd pr- you, I would... I would guess that you would want to put Robin Williams' highlight as his Oscar win for Goodwill Hunting. Yes. Okay. The flip side is, is that if I'm not mistaken, at the time in 1993, when this movie came out, it was in the top 10 grossest movies of all time. Mm-hmm. So this makes it a unprecedented success financially, popularity-wise. And I agree. Comedic roles... This is this is number one for Robin Williams. This is what he's known for. I probably could argue that this is his career highlight. Oh, I'm sure you could. I don't think it would be correct, but the argument can definitely be made. I'm not gonna not gonna debate you on that. But I I, I just feel like the performance in Goodwill Hunting is too strong. It was recognized by the Academy. Um, it's my personal Homer pick as well. Uh, just by nature of how much I love the movie. It's a better movie than this one. I don't know. I, I feel like there's just too many things stacking up against him. Uh, I don't know. I, I personally go Goodwill Hunting. If you wanted to 
do uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. In my opinion, that's like the only other reasonable pick. I need to quickly check something. Yeah. Because I, I want to. I want to be a, a fucking asshole. <laughs> want to be a fucking asshole? Yeah. I don't know <laughs> if I can. No, it's not gonna show it. So I'm uh, trying to. I've been trying to come up with Robin Williams filmography this entire time just to see if I can. Uh, just to see if I can find it. Um, I'm sure actually there, there might be some people yelling uh, Dead Poets Society for at least dramatic highlight. I'm not sure. Hold on. No. Yeah. I'm not going to be able to get it. Um, what I was kind of looking up is that we think of career highlights in terms of film. Yeah. But Robin Williams was on one of the most popular shows in, in television. Uh, Mork and Mindy? Yeah. Okay, I, I was actually going to bring that up, but I wasn't totally sure just how much cultural relevance it had. Massive. Massive. Okay. So that's what I was trying to find is to see if I could find a like a, a, like a, a ranking or a rating, like a viewership, because I can't remember – I was either watching or listening to something about a show. I think it was in the seventies or eighties and it was, uh, it was a regular show, like one that I knew of. And again, I wish I could remember which one it was that had every week, 60 million viewers. And that's just a regular TV show. That's just mm -hmm. how popular it was. Now, granted, again, I understand this is back when there was less, choice of what you could watch but that number is staggering when like the number one show right now gets like 13 million if you get 13 million viewers you're a fucking runaway success for sure 60 so i couldn't quite fight the viewership numbers for mork and mindy so i was gonna see if i could if if that was actually something that should be considered um so i don't know a toss-up between goodwill hunting and this yeah, no, I, I can get on board with that. Yep. Um, while we're on the note of Robin Williams' uh, TV performances, I gotta throw this out there as well. Have you? Uh, I've never actually watched this show, but for some reason, I've seen this clip so many times. Have you ever seen his appearance on Louis? No, I never watched Louis. Every neither did I. But every now and again, his clip on Louis makes the rounds, and it's a surprisingly for a, a show uh, run by a comedian. Uh, and Robin Williams, a comedian, appearing on the show. It's a very dramatic scene that mm -hmm. he's in for the most part. It's uh, it's a great scene. It's only like a minute long. There's two guys that meet at a funeral uh, for a mutual friend. And they, they decide to go out and have coffee together. And they're both kind of tiptoeing around like, so uh, how did you know him? How did you know him? Uh, were you too close? That kind of thing. And they're just having this awkward interaction. And there's a long beat. There's like a long silence of about five seconds. And then Louis just goes, I'm pretty sure he was the biggest piece of shit I ever met in my life. And the two of them both just like sigh a big sigh of relief. Like that was the one thing they were they were both just waiting to say. And then they just tear into this guy. It's a, it's a really funny and actually surprisingly heartwarming scene. And I, I, I have no idea how it even found itself on my radar. I think it just it just appears on Reddit like once spontaneously once every five years or something. I don't know. But it's a I, I wanted to throw that out there. It's a great scene from uh, from Louis with Rob, uh, Robin Williams. Interesting. There we go. Oh no. Hmm. 
I was trying to see. I was just kind of looking through his filmography. Not that it would be contention, but I was wondering if he ever hosted Saturday Night Live. Uh, yeah, I have him three times, 84, 86, 88. Okay. I was like, how, like, if they didn't, I'm like, how did, how is that even possible? Yeah. Right? <laughs> no, he, he would have been, like, just born to be a host of that show. Okay. Um, and I'm, what are you saying is Sally Field's career highlight? Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know what my homer pick would be for Sally Field. Yeah. It, it would it would have to be uh, it, uh, it would have to be Forrest Gump. But it can't uh, be I... a, it can't be according to the very reasons you said that this is not Robin Williams. You didn't even give me a chance to finish, Maddie. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to delay as I scrolled her, her filmography. Um yeah, Sally Field uh, am I misremembering that she was the flying nun? Uh, I actually have no idea. I think that was the TV show where she, like, kind of gained notoriety, although I'm not totally sure. Let me just scroll to television. Yeah, Flying Nun, uh, 82 episodes in uh, the 60s. Uh, also the show Gidget, which I'm unfamiliar with. So but, uh, that's what you're thinking? Is no, your... no, Okay. That's just, that's just, like, one of the main things that come to mind when I, uh, when I think of her as far as TV is concerned. Okay. She's got two Academy Awards for Best Actress. I did not realize that. Now, this is, this is the difference. This is where I was going to put in an argument that it doesn't work with Robin Williams, okay? Mm. Sally Field has two Academy Awards. One for leading actress for Places in the Heart and one for uh, another leading actress for Norma Rae. Mm -hmm. Now, those movies don't hold historical or cultural significance. Norma no, Ray, they do not. Norma Ray kind of does because it's a very um, it's a very feminist movie. Okay. Uh, it's about uh, uh, a woman that helps uh, unionize, uh, I think, uh, a sewing mill or something like that. And so it was very important for its time. But it hasn't carried as much moving forward. Oh, it grossed $22 million in 79, so that's probably about $80 million nowadays. So it's, yeah, it's that's reasonably good. Pretty big hit. Yeah. I'm just wondering if you win an Oscar for a small film, but you star in one of the biggest comedies of all time, what's your career highlight? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a fine argument. Uh, I mean, I, I honestly don't I, – I don't think there's really a right answer. I definitely don't think that Norma Ray or Places in the Heart are Sally Field's career highlight as far as my thoughts about her. One could definitely make the argument that one of them is. I haven't seen it, either of these performances. I've never heard of either of these movies, so I really can't say. I haven't seen either one, but I've heard that Norma Ray's really good. Okay. From my understanding, Norma Ray has one of those scenes that gives you chills. Okay. Like the climactic moment is one of the ones you're like, <gasps> and you get all fucking pumped up. Um, but I'm just going to avoid the problem entirely and just say it's the Flying Nun. Okay. So. <laughs> All right. Um, so then that makes it fairly easy for the next part. Is this anyone's career highlight? Is this anybody's on a career? Is this on their highlight reel? Oh, is this on their highlight reel? Well, yeah. For, for Robin Williams, certainly. Uh, Sally Field as well. What about Pierce Brosnan? I don't know his filmography really well enough. My instinct says sure like i haven't seen him in a lot i've seen maybe one of his bond movies i think okay. 
Whichever one has Sean Bean in it. <laughs> I don't know which one that is either. Yeah, I can't. I honestly can't remember. It's a long time ago. I don't particularly care for his bombs. For me, his this isn't his. This is not this. Does despite this being one of the greatest comedies of all time, and when it came out being in the top ten of all time, Pierce Brosnan's career highlight is being Bond. Like, oh yeah, it's, it's like be, not it's even being question. Bond. But one of the other things I love about Pierce Brosnan as a movie, I that's I. Do I have to say it's a guilty pleasure? I'm going to quickly check the meta score. <laughs> Please don't be guilty. Oh, right. holy shit. That's higher than I thought, and I love that it is. Uh, a movie that I love, it's called The Thomas Crown Affair. Absolutely love a minute. Uh, it's a fun movie. It's a 72 meta score, so not even close to being a guilty pleasure. Damn. Um, okay. direct, same director as Die Hard. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, with, I don't even think this would be in Pierce Brosnan's highlight reel. I don't think he does enough for it to be in his highlight reel. No. But it depends what you want to define the highlight reel as. Like, if you want to say, hey, he was in one of the biggest comedies ever, fine. But it's this movie was not successful because of Pierce Brosnan. So now I'm going to ask the silliest question. MVP of the film. Uh, it is Mrs. Doubtfire himself, Mr. Robin Williams. This We, we stated right off the top, the entirety of the the enjoyment of this movie rests on Robin Williams' shoulders. This was his movie to uh, to lose, basically. What about Greg Canham, Vay Neal, and Yolanda Tussieg for their makeup work? No. Like, <laughs> I, I, I know that you're just trying to find alternatives and be devil's advocate, but no. Like, like straight up, the, the makeup in this movie could have been terrible and it still would have been fine. You know what I mean? No, I disagree. But yeah. that, I'm not. I'm not going to argue for the makeup people. I was just trying to find something that we yeah. could pick. I disagree. Okay. If the makeup is not believable, this movie doesn't work, at at okay. all, at all. Okay. We ha we have to believe that the family and the wife would not be able to tell it's him, so it has to be believable. Okay. But all right. Without a shadow of a doubt, it's Robin Williams. This movie doesn't. The makeup can be just as great on Michael Keaton. This movie is not as good without no, Robin Williams. That's it's, the difference. It's Robin Williams, hands down. Yeah. What will be this film's legacy? Uh, one of the most popular comedies of all time. I didn't even mention this earlier. Uh, I know you listed it as one of the stats, but that Metascore of, uh, of what is that, 52? 53? 52, 53? Yeah, 53. Just ludicrous. I mean, I get it uh, as far as a... Like, the critics, I'm sure, didn't love this movie when it came out because it's not a proper film or whatever, but, like, come on. This is a this is a far better movie than that. Yeah, this is... I, I, I should... If I get bored... Oh, I have nothing but time because I'm fucking sick. Mm. I should try and read some of the reviews on this. Yeah, totally. Like, critic reviews, not the... Not, not the, the user not reviews. Not the yeah. user reviews. Um, this film's legacy will go down as one of the top family comedies of all time. It can pretty much be watched by almost all ages and enjoyed pretty much the same. This will actually, I might consider showing this to my daughter. I don't think there's anything in here that I don't think she's ready for. She might not get, there's uh, some sexual references that she wouldn't get, but they would go over yeah. her head so they wouldn't be offensive to her. Mm -hmm. This film's legacy is going to be one of, it's one of Robin Williams's this is this is on Robin Williams Mount Rushmore. Yeah, this is one of the quintessential Robin Williams performances. 
I would say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with I have three, and the best thing about the three is that I think the three of them covered the breadth of his the breadth of his career. Okay, so I think I know two. Okay, this so, one and uh, Goodwill Hunting, and the genie. Ah, yeah, great, great pick. So I, I have no idea what number four could be. That would be a fun debate. What's what's the fourth on uh, on Robin Williams uh, Mount Rushmore? Yeah, uh, I mean. I, I honestly don't know. Do we throw in Morgan Mindy just because? Oh yeah, probably. You gotta That's throw in his. It. You gotta throw in his TV. Yeah, a little bit of the coke, the old stuff for sure. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's, that's a hundred percent what it is. It's those four. Boom, well, well we did done. It. Wow, that was actually easier than I thought. I, yeah. <laughs> I was ready to have some good arguments. Yeah. Um. Oh wait, hold on. The only other one I would even consider, probably, but. It wouldn't make sense to include because we already have Goodwill Hunting on there. Is Dead Poets Society? No, not over Mork and Mindy. No, definitely not. No. Would you watch this movie again? Yes, I would. Yep, hundred percent. And I probably will watch it again soon with my daughter. Would you recommend this movie to friends? Yes, I would. I would be stunned to find somebody that hasn't seen this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Even even people my age who were born after this movie came out, like everybody I know has seen this movie. Yeah, this is the. Like, there's nothing in this, there's, there's, there's nothing that most ages can't enjoy in this movie. Yeah. I would go so far as to call this movie timeless. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can go with that. Sam, your final thoughts on Mrs. Doubtfire. It's exactly that. It's timeless. It's a timeless classic. This is a movie that uh, I have revisited many times, but not actually super recently as an adult. I'm happy that it holds up. Yes, there's at least one scene that is really cringeworthy in 2022. Uh, the casual homophobia from Daniel's son. It's not casual. Uh, directed, yeah, <laughs> the, the outright homophobia directed directed uh, right at him. Um, but outside of that, I think uh, this is a movie that works super well. Yes, there's a great amount of suspension of disbelief required. And it's certainly not a flawlessly written movie, uh, especially when taking into consideration the bad parenting at a lot of times. But <laughs> you know what? You have to turn off your brain for that. This is a super fun comedy where you just get to watch a master of his craft, one of the greatest of all times, Mr. Robin Williams, uh, doing what he does best, which is just go. So uh, I, this is definitely one I'm going to revisit down the line, and I'm happy that it still works today. Yeah, I was... Very excited to revisit this, and once again, we talked more about this movie than I thought we would, and we'd have a lot more to say than I thought we would, but it was enjoyable. This movie is fun for all ages. It's one that will endure the test of time, and yes, it does have a few things that haven't quite aged as well, but it doesn't uh, deter from the fact that this is a highly entertaining movie. Sam, what's your rating for Mrs. Doubtfire? Uh, this is uh, a pretty easy four, I think. Uh, it's not quite a flawless movie, and it's not quite one that has like, etched itself in uh, immortality as far as being a part of my childhood or anything like that, but it is a, it's a solid four. Yeah, this is a four for me. Uh, this can't approach a five for me, and the reason for is while I was entertained while watching this movie, I don't really think... At this point in 2022, I don't remember on this watch laughing. Mm, I remember being entertained and smiling, but I was never like giggling or enjoying myself or 
having this overjoy sense of euphoria and excitement the way I did when we watched Booksmart. Yeah. And but Booksmart's a five. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the difference between a four yeah. and a five mm -hmm. is, uh, is the level of enjoyment. That doesn't take away for how entertaining this movie is. And the more I think about it, the more I'm kind of looking forward to seeing my daughter watch this. I think she's going to get a real good kick out this of will it. Be a fun, this will be a fun one. I know it's PG-13, technically. Yeah. But I it's think PG-13 be, because of the sexual references. Yeah, this could be appropriate for younger children, I would think. Yeah, I don't think she's going to have a problem with it. No. And that's Mrs. Delphire. Sam, what's going on next week? Next week, I actually uh, didn't write this one down, but it's episode 198, I believe, is The Piano. That is that? correct. Correct, yeah. So this is another Best Picture nominee and one that I haven't seen. So... Since it's a film you haven't seen, we are going to continue with the new tradition mm. of Sam, what's the piano about? Okay, so the piano being a uh, Best Picture nominee, I'm going to go ahead and guess this movie is super pretentious. So this is, <laughs> this is like, uh, like the most dramatic, uh, like uh, melodramatic is the word I'm looking for. Okay. The most melodramatic... Uh, tear-jerking mess Whoa. of a movie. This is uh, oh, man, what's the what's the one movie called? Um, oh, I can't think of the movie I'm trying to compare it to. Uh, but this is like an English Patient style movie, which is like very melodramatic, uh, long and boring, with probably some great performances. I'm guessing the piano is involved somehow. Maybe there's uh, maybe there's a piano. Uh, I'm going to say it's a, it's a family heirloom passed along through the generations. Uh, maybe somebody knows how to play it. Maybe they don't. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a, there's a <laughs> it's about moving a piano. That's, it's, it's about moving a piano between houses and the difficulty that comes with it. There you go. There's the piano, and there's some spectacular performances therein. All right. Excellent. Okay. Uh, I haven't seen this movie either, uh, but I so do. So you have no idea how right I am. I, but I do know what it's about <laughs> okay perfect awesome uh okay please remember to rate review and subscribe to us on itunes if you give us a five-star rating a positive review it does increase the profile of our podcast allows more people to find us uh you can also uh rate us on spotify it just takes mere seconds for you to do so we would greatly appreciate if you did we truly appreciate each and every one of you that listens to our episodes you can email us at sam podcast at gmail.com you can follow us on instagram and twitter at sam underscore manny underscore movie and you can do other things that I can't think of off the top of my head because I am sick with COVID. Yeah, good on you for making it through, Manny. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Uh, for the Samuel and Manuel Movie Podcast, I'm Manny Manuel. Thanks for the memories, Reeve. I'll miss you, buddy. I'm Sam Reimer. Adios.